This episode is brought to you by Fizzy Vantage, the official climbing nutrition sponsor of the Nugget Climbing Podcast. Fizzy Vantage is the leading brand in climbing nutrition, with more than 40 professional climbers now using Fizzy Vantage products daily to support their training and climbing performance. Many of those names are people I have had on this show, and there's a reason they're all using FizzyVantage. Visit FizzyVantage.com to learn more about their many innovative research-based nutrition products and supplements, including their revolutionary supercharged collagen. That's my personal favorite. I take that one every day. I'm rocking the peach mango flavor right now. The performance boosting Endurex, that's great for sport climbers and trad climbers, and their delicious protein supplements, weapons grade whey, and the plant-based PowerPlex. If you would like to feel the fizzy vantage, head over to fizzyvantage.com and use code NUGGET15 at checkout to save 15% off any full-priced nutrition product. That's NUGGET15 at checkout, and you can find a direct link to this coupon right there in your podcast app. This episode is brought to you by AG1. AG1 has become one of my favorite parts of my morning routine. I love to wake up, throw on a podcast, and add a scoop of AG1 to about 8 to 12 ounces of cold water, shake it up, and sip on that while I make my coffee and my breakfast. It's super refreshing and it tastes really good. I look forward to it every morning almost as much as my first cup of coffee, which for me is saying a lot. With every daily serving, I'm setting myself up for success with 75 high-quality ingredients that give me key daily nutrients and support energy, focus, strength, and clarity throughout the day. I think of it as all-in-one nutritional insurance. I like to eat whole foods when it comes to my nutrition, but it can be really hard to get fresh fruits and veggies, not to mention organic, when you travel to some of these remote climbing areas. I love knowing that every time I drink my AG1 in the morning, my day is covered. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com nugget. That's drinkag1.com nugget. Check it out. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Nugget Climbing Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Dimmitt, recording my first ever podcast intro from South Africa. I'm here in Rocklands, been in South Africa for about a week, spent a few days in Cape Town, and then picked up a really gnarly stomach bug before coming up here and have been very sick for the past few days, which is why this episode's a little bit late. So yeah, not the best start to the trip, but here for a couple months, so should have plenty of time to climb. My guest today is Addie Wright. I loved this conversation with Addie. Addie is a climbing instructor and route setter from New York, and she and I got to do this in person. We met up in Vegas. She was on a trip to Red Rock. I was in St. George, so I got to pop over and hang out with her for a couple days. We got to know each other. We did some great climbing and had a really wonderful conversation. I really enjoyed Addie's insights and her humor and her joy. She's a very happy person. You can hear that in her voice. And I hope you enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Addie Wright. Have for breakfast. I had Oreo cookies. 
<laughs> golden <laughs> Oreos. We're off to such a good start. This is amazing. Okay, continue. Um, I had some granola, which was delicious. Uh, what else did I have? Plenty of water. I had alkaline water because I just learned that you're not supposed to drink the Vegas tap water. Yeah. Yeah. Being from New York, I so first day out here, I drank like two bottles worth of the tap water. And then yesterday someone said, no, no, don't do that. Like big <laughs> bottles, like Nalgene's or something. Like big yeah. bottles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they were like, no, even even so, like fill your Nalgene with something else. Like the tap water is not good. Mm-hmm. Like it's not like New York. <laughs> I'm the same way because I came from the Pacific Northwest. Mm. And we're just spoiled, you know. The water's delicious in Washington and Oregon and stuff. Washington Can you go, go, a little, really go a little closer and have it? down and then like point that up i can do that too if need be but how's that good 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 and i can see your face now yeah exactly <laughs> likewise good comfy i'm comfy we have all the got things little, going little jacket. nice it's so good to have you here yeah i'm, I'm so glad, glad we're Long finally time doing coming. this i know i know we talked about it since last year yeah i know like almost six months or so i've i don't know what i i don't know why it took so long you're busy yeah you had, yeah. you had lots of people. Yeah, but I'm. Um, it's it's one of those things. You you mentioned this earlier when we were at the house, but just how like timing. Yeah. You know, like sometimes timing feels um, serendipitous. I guess it's just like things happen for a reason, and mm. I had no idea that you were coming out here, and it just worked <laughs> out perfectly to be able to do this in person. And now we get to hang out in the van and chat, and it it it, it all worked out. So. Van's pretty sick, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, yeah I also to... didn't know I'd be out here until a month ago. Okay. Yeah. I actually wanted to start with that. I, I'm curious what your goal for a trip like this is. Because I I was kind of thinking about it, like imagining you as a root setter and, you know, the drive that you have to get better at your craft and all the learning. And does a trip like this, is it important? Does it fuel the root setting or is it just for fun? Is it just to be able to take a break from work and, and climb for yourself? It is both. This is the first trip I've taken in my life that wasn't for work. Whoa, ever? Ever. I've 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 never Congratulations. had a vacation before. I'm very very excited. I'm adulting. I've never taken a vacation. How old are you? I turned 30 in July. <laughs> Your first vacation. Yeah. At ever. 29. That's not at home. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I'm very excited about this. Um and I think it is important as a route setter to get enrichment elsewhere. The same way an artist should go visit different museums, um, should look at different colors, should get the chance to play. It just gives me more vocabulary of things to put up on the wall. Um, I s- saw uh, that I gather like so much inspiration every time I take a climbing trip, either to teach outdoors and try climbing styles in different areas. Every time I visit a different gym that's a different state. Every time I go compete somewhere. And every time I, I go to take a setting clinic and get on styles from different setters as well, I come back with like so much inspiration. I put up things that I haven't put up before and the members always really like it. Um, and I always usually enjoy those kinds of climbs because they're different and it's mimicking something that I felt somewhere that I thought, man, like I'd like to bag this up and bring it back to the members. I think they'd like to try this or our team kids should work on this type of thing. So it's very important for your setters to get to go elsewhere. I've Notice that gym owners have started to take that serious too. Um, most of the full-time setters that I know that have a salary have dedicated time off for development and for that to go out and play so they can come back mm-hmm. and have more um, creativity juices. 
creativity juices. Yeah. I like that. Is is a development for a root setter? Is that going on a climbing trip? Is that visiting other gyms, both? Uh, development will be continuing education and setting uh, for USAC competitions. Okay. Yeah. For right. most gyms, you can set anywhere. Uh, for certain chains, they're stricter. They make you sign a non-compete, like for my mm. gym, Center Rock. I'm only allowed to set for USAC competitions. I'm not allowed to work for another gym for like any purpose. So okay. I can't set for their competitions. But if they're hosting a sanctioned USAC event and I apply for it and I get accepted, I can go set for that. Okay. Yeah. I got you. Does drawing inspiration from rock climbing, so we're out in Red Rocks right now for people that that, that don't know, um, does drawing inspiration from actual rock climbs work? And I'm, I'm asking that, I mentioned this a second ago to you, but I worked as a root setter in college and it's like, I, I would in no way compare it to what you do or what any current contemporary root setter does because it was this old entrepreneur free form wall, like this old fake rock, you know, the fiberglass and like, super uneven you couldn't fit volumes on the wall the biggest hold you could fit on the wall was about that big like the size of a big potato you know <laughs> so it was all greasy old cramps and stuff like that so the setting was very basic very easy and i was a rock climber and would spend a lot of time in leavenworth and go out and climb on granite and get these ideas and be like i want to try to recreate that boulder in the gym and it was always terrible. Like it was always like a total disaster <laughs> trying to recreate cool things on rock on plastic or, or with plastic in the gym. Um, does it work to do that so, nowadays in, in, with current setting? And um, yeah, what, what inspiration have you gathered so far from climbing out in the craft boulders or on the sandstone that you think you can actually use in your setting? So I have three... Uh, answers to that. The first one is you usually don't try to put the exact same boulder up because that's just so hard. You won't have those exact holds that face that direction that have that exact crook. Uh, maybe the wall that you're setting next is not that angle. Maybe you don't have the correct volumes to build it out that way. Maybe you don't have the space to fit the holds there. So you typically get inspiration from it and you kind of um, paraphrase it on the wall. Mm. So you put similar movement. Maybe it's flip the opposite direction Maybe the movements are in different parts of the climb. Um, maybe only certain parts of that movement are on the wall. Or the theme when you come back is the theme of the climb that you had when you were there. Uh, so you always have to make some changes and make it fit the situation that you're in. Uh, the second thing that I would say is there's so much of climbing that is outdoors. Um, that was outdoors first. Like I've done so many dinos this trip already. Mm. But people feel like when you go outside, it's a rock climb. It's just crimpy. It's just crappy movement. It's just pull hard on overhang or that if it's slab, it's just no hands, bad feet and just lean to stand up. And I've gotten on so many movements outside that I've done indoors already. Um, and there were so few moves this trip that I haven't actually already seen indoors. So it does work. Like mm. they do exist in both places. And then my third answer uh, there are some moves that I did outside that I want to take inside. Um, I feel like I know which wall I can do it on in our gym, but there was this really cool five, six slab that I led. Um, I'm terrified of heights. Okay. Um, and I'm not afraid of being at height. I enjoy that. I'm afraid of falling. Okay. Um, so I'm very picky about who believes me. So this was my second time ever lead climbing outdoors. 
Okay. And I did it of my own volition. Like I wasn't like coerced into it. No one was like, you should try it. Like my teammate now, Hannah from North Face, led it first. I belayed her. Then I said, you know what? I want to do it. And I led it and I had such a good time on it. It was like such a good route. Uh, and then our teammate, Kimber, led up it. Um, and I want to bring back that joy as well as that kind of comfort on the wall while on slab back to the gym. Mm. I obviously can't bring those holds back. I can't make sure that I have the same angles, but what I can do is have the same idea of your feet aren't great. So maybe the way I translate that at the gym on the slab is to maybe only have volume feet and maybe all the hands you touch are something you push against and nothing you pull on. Um, and maybe as you're going across the climb, uh, your chest is closer to the wall and your hips are further away. That'll be something pretty similar to what I felt. That's cool. So you're trying to recreate not the set of moves specifically, but the sensation, like yeah. the experience of the climb. Yeah. And sometimes you want to reset one move. Like one thing I realized is that I try to set the bar too high for myself for things. And in setting, I tend to put too many movements too close together. So someone tall does the first move, the last move skips the whole middle because I put it too close together. Mm. Uh, Ryan said to me, stop putting so much into one climb. You have enough ideas for three here. <laughs> you know, spread it out. Mm, that's a lesson. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so I can have that one move that I want to set and that is the star of the climb, mm. you know, and then I'll have something going into or out of the climb. Or if that one climb is just so grand, Maybe it's a one-move wonder, and it's okay to have maybe one or two of those in the gym. If you think about the set uh, and what styles are up completely instead of just your one climb or the one wall that you're setting right now. Mm -hmm. So you can, you can do all. You mentioned Ryan. Who's Ryan? Ryan's my head setter. Love that guy. Nice. Yeah, he's such a great teacher. He is so patient with me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I ask all the questions. That's great. He has to repeat himself. And I'm such a scaredy cat. Like at competition, I'll go for stuff. And then when we're for winning things at the gym, I won't go for it. He's like, you won't try hard for me. Like, he's so patient with me. <laughs> I I love him. He's great. Yeah, he's such an, a great educator too. Uh, I feel lucky in a sense working with him because he has a degree in education. Okay. So he knows how to teach. Oh, that's a really good trade in a It's very setter. important. That's awesome. Yeah, just because you can do something doesn't mean you can translate the information or... How did you get started with setting? I annoyed uh, the first head setter that I met back at MPHC years ago, Manhattan Plaza Health Club. Uh, that's the first gym that I started having a membership at. It's in Manhattan on 43rd and 10th. And I started there properly with the membership when I was 20. Two years in, I started working there. But into my first year, I started showing up in the morning just watching the head setter set by himself asking him questions like, oh, do you know what you're putting up already? How do you decide the grade? Why'd you pick that foot? What kind of hold is that? Just annoying this man. Uh, and then <laughs> Did you have an angle? Were you like hoping to eventually do this or were you just fascinated? I was it? just so curious That's and I didn't cool. realize I was being annoying. <laughs> now that I'm a setter, I don't want that. <laughs> don't ask me all that stuff while I'm trying to set. It's like messing up the creative process. Ask me when I'm done and when I'm watching you guys get on the climb. Mm. Yeah. So when I started working there, he asked me, hey, do you want to learn how to set? And I was like, yeah. So he gave me a, a T-handle. And for like a solid month and some change, that's all I could use. And I was just setting zeros and ones. All right. Yep. My job was really the grunt work. I was the person in charge of stripping the wall and washing the holds. 
So I'd work the whole day Sunday after my shift or end of the shift, strip the wall prior. Monday, come in in the morning to open and I'd wash those holds. And if I finished washing in time, I would get to set one or two climbs. Hmm. I don't blame my headsetter or my coworkers for having me do the grunt work. It's kind of like a earn your stripes thing in the route setting career. I always choose to look above them and see if they had like the ability to give me more. That gym was terrible. They paid the setters by climb. Oh, wow. So there really wasn't much capacity to teach someone else to start setting. And mm. they were taking opportunity out of their own mouths to do it. And they were paying for their own development. Mm. So I fully get it. Yeah. Yeah. I was happy to have earned my stripes early and learned that, yes, I do want to do this. Mm -hmm. um, and I really appreciate the T-handle. <laughs> it's such a simple tool. It takes a whole lot more work. Uh, but if you don't have a drill, you can't get the job done with something that's like, you know, very simple. <laughs> um, and then eventually I started to set with the drill. I think that went on for maybe six months or so. And by set, I mean, I put up climbs. They went. This doesn't mean they were good. This doesn't mean I taught anything. This doesn't mean that the grades really made sense. And I say that because when I went to my next gym, Central Rock, Manhattan, when that opened up, um, four years ago now, so I would say 2018, I basically started over with like technique. I hmm. knew nothing. Was setting technique? Well, climbing technique. Okay. Yeah, I only sat there for six months and then uh, the owner of the gym said that you had to go and get your level one USAC to start setting there and my folks weren't going to let me take like a three-day trip somewhere to learn to set when I was in school for veterinary medicine. So I just never got my level one so I stopped setting. Okay. Um, and so I picked up coaching and competing instead. Um, go to Central Rock Gym, work there for two years. And then for the past two years now, um, I've been setting there. Um, and Ryan gave me the chance to set because I was just eager. I would always like have an open mind. I communicate. I'm not afraid of hard work. And I wanted to do this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, he had to start over with me. <laughs> Give me the basics again. Um, and I feel like there's always so much I'm learning in a single session. Like we just had a long discussion about grades, how that's even decided. For the longest time, I was intimidated to set hard grades and I still am to set above my level. But I was doing it, quote unquote, the wrong way in my mind. They always tell me there isn't a wrong. There's this A way and there's like a million more. But the way that they see a grade is the hardest move is the crux, and that is the grade of the climb. Um, but when we look at like V1s, V2s, V3s, like all of the moves on that climb typically are that grade. Right. But we go up to like seven plus, maybe two of the moves are that grade, and you know, all the rest of the moves are less than. If something is a consistent V5 for each move, maybe that climb is like a hard six or easy seven. Um, if something is a consistent V7 every move, maybe it's a nine. And I was like, what is this math? And they said, exactly. So that's why you can't decide grades. It's objective. Mm. Um, and I realized when I was trying to set above my level, I was trying to make every movement that grade. Oh, okay. That's why every time I tried to set an eight, it's a 13. <laughs> <laughs> it's like 12 V8 moves in a row. Exactly. Because yeah. I'm like, but it's a V8. So why would it not be V8 moves? Yeah. And maybe the crux is a slightly harder V8 move in the middle or, or somewhere. Uh, so once I changed my methods to that, 
all of a sudden sledding hard climbs were significantly easier. Mm. It was just that one move, even if it were above my level. Because now I can get on the climb and hold the position. Mm-hmm. Now I can touch the hold, but I couldn't like hold it, you know, and I'm starting to understand how far above the level I'm used to climbing that is. Like, what does nine mean now? I think I have a better idea of that through feel, depending on the style. What does 10 mean now? You know, instead of just, oh, they're all hard. So it's the same. What is the difference? Right. Right. I used to think nine plus it's, it's it's the same thing as 17. I can't do it. So what does it matter? <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah. I have a greater understanding through that. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny what you're describing. Um, I think where I've seen that a lot is like experienced setters, but who mostly boulder transitioning to sport routes Mm-mm. and they'll set like a 12 C that's like V5 the entire way. And I'm like, you guys, this that's might, <laughs> this might be <laughs> 514. Me. Like this is so <laughs> fucking hard. Every clip is V5. Every move is V5. There's no rests. <laughs> Where do you get that map? I don't Just know. Like... I don't know. <laughs> no, it's saying I'm like, who decides this? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do understand more though. Uh, I've been, our gym is mainly a boulder gym. We have like, you know, just a few cute little rope walls. We do what we can with it. I think our setters do a good job with making them interesting and fun. And starting me off, he just said, like, don't think of it as a long boulder and don't think of it as a boulder on top of a boulder. Mm. Boulder and ropes are different. He said it's flowy moves. There's much less intensity. He said there are chances to shake out. There are foot options. Depending on the gym you go to, there is a foot for each of the moves instead of switching feet. Uh, there's less tracking where you use the last hand that you had as a foot. You know, instead there'll just be the foot option there. And as you go up in grade, then you have to use that foot. Or maybe even so, they'll just give you a crappy foot to use instead. Mm-hmm. Um, and the flow of the moves. So having had that idea has made my easier climbs also flow so much more. So I think of my climbs up to like V2 or something, a short rope walk. Oh, that's cool. That way each of the move flows into the next and feels right. Hmm. Versus for bouldering, it could be more tic-tac-y or more powerful. In my head, cooler moves. But yeah, I sure. do like both. More, com- Yeah, more more complex. Yeah. yeah. I definitely set way more complex on boulders than ropes, but I understand that's the point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But now I'm, I'm going to set for rope regionals at Memphis Rocks in the second week of May. So I'm trying to also understand how do I now set competition for ropes since I've finally started to understand how to set commercial for ropes, which is not Boulder. Like, which of those two parts of the world am I going to take with me to rope comp? Right. Yeah, probably a little of both, right? Yeah. Yeah, somewhere in between. Some Boulder cruxes up there probably with more complexity. Yeah, because again, it's it's not going to be for local, it's regional. Mm. So these will be kids who know how to shake out. Mm -hmm. Kids who understand flow, kids who understand how to read from the ground. Like, how do you test someone on rope versus on boulder? Um, Do you like sport climbing yourself? I do enjoy sport climbing. I love the sound of when you clip perfectly. (laughs) Somebody should make that a text tone. (laughs) The text tone? Yeah. Like, I really really love that. That, like, crisp snap of the carabiner. It's so good. Um, I feel like such a climber when I do it. Yeah. It's very cool. It does Um, feel cool. I think I'm an efficient lead climber. I think... Similar to Project Thing on Boulder is my headspace is what holds me back. I won't lead climb something that I'm not going to flash. Mm. However, I will climb it so pretty and technically because I've decided I'm not falling. 
Okay. Um, so that's where I am with that. I see. <laughs> There's I like see. six people allowed to blame me. <laughs> I see. Yeah. 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 So that'll, that'll that be an sense. interesting. That, that comes in time, I think. That all comes in time. I, I think so, too. I used to be very comfortable at it, and I could just go for something depending on, you know, who my belayer is, too, because of trust. But then COVID happened, and I had all that time off the wall. Mm. And then I had all the time, even after COVID, not lead climbing. Mm-hmm. So getting back on, like, just the feeling of thinking I'll fall, having not practiced falling, just terrified me. So it's been a, a slow process getting back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's uh, Let's take a bunch of steps back. You mentioned being in veterinarian school mm. and your parents not wanting you to go off and pursue your um, your level one mm-hmm. for, for root setting. Um, I didn't even ask them because I knew the answer. <laughs> <laughs> Let's dive into that. I'm really curious. Yeah. So yeah, you're, you. I mean, as far as I understand, you went all the way through veterinarian school. I did not. I did not. Okay. So I went almost all the way through getting my bachelor's at Rutgers in veterinary science. Okay. Um, because this is a heartbreaking story and like a very unusual path to what you're to where you are now. Yeah. Seems like it all has kind of worked out in a sense, but it has. It has. Um, one semester before COVID actually happened, I decided, you know, I'll take a break from school. But I was one semester away from applying to veterinary colleges. Like I already knew which ones I wanted to go to. I knew the gyms I wanted to work at. I already had my recommendations in place. And I was working on finishing up the hours that I needed to have to be able to go to vet school. You have to have uh, hours of working with animals underneath the vet. And I took a break because I just took on so much that semester. I was working full time, which is 40 hours a week. Uh, I was in school full time, which was five classes. And one of those classes was an internship at the Staten Island Zoo. If anyone is in Manhattan, they understand how far Staten Island is from New Jersey. And I lived in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. I lived in Newark and my school was in New Brunswick, which is very south of New Jersey. So my commute to school was like an hour and some change if I didn't take the express train. Um, and then my commute from home to Staten Island was two hours. Not having a Oof. license, that's what I did. So twice yeah. a week gave that day to the internship and that's unpaid because you're gaining experience. Were you uh, working then, in climbing at the time or something I was. Okay. Yeah, I was working at my gym. Uh, And because it was the headspace where, like, you know, more of my time at the gym was spent not having to stress about studying, not having to stress about eat and tuition, not having to stress about stuff at home and, like, my mom's health and, like, rent, Um, not having to stress about, you know, how will I be able to pay for college once I get into vet school because it costs even more and you can only do it via loan because all of my loans are in my name, so I paid for school myself. Mm. Um, It was just, like, a, a place where nothing matters. You're just climbing. It's just you on the wall. So I spent more and more time there. Um, and my dad saw it as a distraction and he was correct. It was a distraction, but I also think veterinary school wasn't for me. Again, I like to set the bar too high. So I chose the toughest version of being a vet. I couldn't just like be a clinical vet or ER vet. I wanted to be a zoo vet. Okay. They get paid the least. So I wasn't going to make back my tuition. Um, and it's a, it's the most competitive job to get. You get a job when someone dies or retires. Wow. There's only so many zoos. Right. You know? Makes sense. Uh, and I started to realize, and why, my why parents... D- why did you want that? Why, why? I just love animals. I'm obsessed with nature and science and yeah. biology. Yeah. I've always been like a really smart kid. I've always had A's, always graduated as valedictorian or at least within the top 10. 
Um, so my parents and I held really high value in my grades and like ability to have some kind of career that took a lot of intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, you know, I can put my intelligence to use by doing conservation and like working on animals. It's harder than being a doctor because your patient can't speak back to you and it's not one species. <laughs> right. You know, it's all the systems in all of these species. Was the zoo more intriguing because of the variety of animals? Yeah. So I, to my dad's advice, which was awesome, I took a year off of school after getting my associates to figure out, do I absolutely want to be a vet and what kind? So in that year, I interned and worked at different areas. So I was at a a clinical vet facility down by St. Mark's Place in Manhattan for like a few months, just working with someone and I realized I don't want to do this because when it's boring, they get the same kind of animals and cases each time. And two, some of these people are stupid and I would take their animal and I would lose my license because they don't, they don't belong owning these animals. They don't like treat it with the correct care. Yeah. And then the next would be like a uh, payment. You know, these things are very expensive in America. Healthcare for all people are expensive on purpose. So I would like lose money because I'd want to pay for it, mm. you know? And then I said, okay, well, let's try being at a shelter heartbreaking in <laughs> animal know? shelter yeah. yeah i was at the aspca for a full year and i moved my way up to helping hands which is essentially vet assistant um so like unofficially i was working under the vet and she taught me how to draw blood how to register medications um taking temperature of different animals and things like that um then i started to be a process of when they spay and neuter so i was able to help with the pre-care and the post-care I did not suture anything like that because, you know, don't want them to get in trouble. So they said, you can't do that, but you can watch. You know, you can like scrub down, put your materials on and you can stay and watch the whole process start to finish. And I didn't realize it was so fast, like an assembly line, just like bringing the cats through, bringing the dogs through wow. it was so fast. I was like, wow, I thought it was way more than this. And I thought that was amazing because they gave their care for free. Mm. Um, but, you know, you see so many animals that come through after having being dealt with people that just pass on trauma. Um, and I was like, I can't be in this. I will hate humanity. Mm. <laughs> so I moved on to vet. Um, and I interned uh, at that Staten Island Zoo first before I got official internship with them through my school, which was my fifth class. And I was just so excited. Every day was brand new. And like all of the zookeepers, albeit paid so little, just like medical assistants are, they all love the animals. So there is no animal in there that's not being taken care of. Uh, and that uh, area was doing research on enrichment. So they didn't have animals pacing back and forth. They brought them new smells, new toys. Mm. They had them interact with the other animals, took them on like walks through the park. You know, like they were having like what I would say is full lives. Like the giraffe was able to giraffe, you know, like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the goat yeah. was able to be a full goat. It wasn't sitting behind a glass. And they did that with all of their animals. That's awesome. Um, and I just learned so much because all of them had so much experience for years. And I thought, this is it. I want to do this. And then I um, applied to Rutgers and got in. And that was just what I had done. But again, it was just so expensive. Mm. The access is what made me leave it behind during COVID. Um, I was going to apply to go back to school online during that time. I thought, hey, if I'm not working, I have all this time to study. Like, this is the time to try to get, you know, take the hardest classes while I have the chance to concentrate but they were going to charge online the same as in person without extra support and i said you know what mm. excuse my language fuck this yeah so i said i i guess this isn't for me i'm swimming upstream right now yeah 
yeah, I made the scary decision to become a full-time climber um, and try to make a career out of it somehow. And then I thought down the line, I'll go back and be a PT. Like I'll do all of my research and networking now. And then just to have uh, a client base and have some kind of a stable income, you know, I thought I would go back to school and be a PT and already have my name out there and people would come to me for PT for climbing. Mm -hmm. But we'll see if I do that even. Like I feel like I've gotten really far with just this and teaching clinics and Hell yes. public speaking now and That's awesome. sharing my story and doing community work and settings. So yeah, I think there are other ways for me to have stable income with less work. Um, but still be able to climb and have that be my main job. My goal now is to get out of gyms. Like I want to be able to set and guest set everywhere. I want to teach clinics of different kinds at different gyms and get paid to do that by different um, sponsors and like companies that'll hire me to do it. want to do public speaking and spread my story and like inspire others and, you know, just, just keep doing that. Cause that's amazing. That's amazing. It's, it's really cool to be paid to climb. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's incredible. I remember with the veterinarian thing, did you kind of, I mean, you mentioned it was so expensive. Was it kind of a catch 22? I remember like you could, you like couldn't even get a student loan for some reason. Yeah. What, yeah, what I happened there? Yeah. Remind my me. My credit was too low to get a student loan. Mm. Yeah. Um, early on when we first got our apartment in New Jersey, my folks had me take out a credit card so that I could have credit. And I had the best credit in the house at the time. So we got our apartment on my credit. But I wasn't taught like too much about like how to manage credit and stuff. So when sure. I was going to school and like not having a lot of income, like I used that credit to pay for things. Um, and then eventually it ran out and I didn't make enough to like pay it back. So because it was overdue, I had like those bills to pay, but I couldn't pay them. So I had it defaulted and that brought my credit way down. Mm. My credit right now is very good. Because in the past year and a half that I've lived out the house, I spent so much time on it. I've not missed a payment to anything, especially to my student loans. So if I wanted a uh, student loan now, I could absolutely get it. But like, I'm not going back. So Why, why not? I'm, I'm curious. I mean, like, <laughs> maybe, your life's maybe amazing not now. now. But, but yeah, why? like you, you seem to be passionate about that path. Or maybe it was just a good job. I don't know. You tell me. But, For veterinary? Yeah. I now see that I can interact with animals and be a part of the conservation process without having it be a detriment to my finances and my time. That's a lot of years to give. Um, that's a huge lot of time to give as well and not just money. Like I'd, I'd have to stop climbing for how much I'd have to study. Mm. There's, there's no way you could be in vet school full time and also be a professional athlete. That's not yeah, possible totally. for how much you have to study. Mm. plus the practicals you'd have to do with the animals. And then once you're out and you're doing your residency, um, that's a year of um, doing work at the location without like having like the actual job just yet. So that's also not paid very well. You get paid just enough to live. So that means no like gym membership, mm. <laughs> you know, right. and that means long hours as well. So I would just have to like give my professional climbing a huge enough break and hope that after like not being in this for five years that I can come back the same. And I'm already about to be 30. I'm not going to do that. If I were 20 or like 18, sure. <laughs> but there's no way I could bounce back to what I'm doing now at 35. Mm. Well, I'm excited for you. Thank you. You found a cool thing. 
I, I think so too. It was very scary. Like again, we haven't seen publicly, we haven't seen a successful black climber who makes a living doing this. Mm. You know, like we have Tande who's a setter, but you only know him once you're in setting. Uh, we have Kai Leitner. Um, and I'm sure there are some others who just haven't been named. But again, like they haven't gotten enough public audience for us to know they exist. So I had no examples to go by. It was very scary. Mm. Um, I knew I was taking a big risk and my folks thought that I was being so silly. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, they didn't start to see my side until they saw like, you know, the effects it had on other people until they started to feel like more proud of it. So yeah, I was the first to do it. I'm the first in my family to do so many freaking things, which I feel really blessed for. I feel very lucky. Um, and I'm really happy that I was brave enough to go and get it and not let fear of not seeing someone who looks like me do it, hold me back and not have the fear of my parents fearing for my safety, keep me from trying it. Mm. Like I made sure to go try all these things with folks who I felt could protect me in the ways that I asked them to. Um, so I think doing this was just, was just very important. What yeah. Can you elaborate on that last thing you said? Yeah. So for example, um, like going camping for the first time, as a black person, I don't see, now I do because I've done the research and I've networked and I'm a part of the outdoor communities. But before joining this, I did not know any black people who camped. Yeah. It seemed like a very dangerous thing to do in the political like state that we have now in this country. Totally. Like you are going to be in the middle of nowhere, not in a black town, mm -hmm. no police by that maybe you know you can trust like no phone signals like who knows who the hell can drive past or follow you out there and do whatever and then there's no evidence of it and now you're lost and your parents don't know where you went and maybe people know but they decide not to pursue it and you know put the person in jail because they're like oh who cares it's just you like mm. there's so many dangers that i'd have to consider like that and i think it's very brave to say you know not everybody is evil and like you should still have this experience like my dad is a very 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 cautious man mm. for good reason right um his grandmother like it it goes to tell you like you know how again with timing like how close everything is it's not years ago his grandmother was a slave as a child at the very tail end of it wow isn't Your that dad's so recent yeah that's fucking crazy yeah, actually she died at like 80 something like five years ago so that's how close history is she died in her late 80s five years ago and yeah. she was a slave when she was a kid yeah that is fucking mind-blowing that's crazy me. how close wow, that, is. that is so it's crazy. not that far away yeah so he has direct stories of experiences they're not like cautionary tales these are like things that happen in his family directly you know so mm -hmm. all of that fear and caution they have was passed directly to him all the cultural things that we've avoided for safety things like you don't just go in a forest to be there we don't belong there um when actually we do it's just in america it's hard to be out there and then there's the access you know like if you've never been all you have are those fears that we've passed down that have worked you know, if you're not out there, how can you be like targeted? You know, you don't realize there is safe spaces for you to do it. Mm. Um, there are groups of us doing it all the time and teaching us how to be there. So, you know, his favorite saying is you have to weigh the risks. Um, is it like 
you know, on a scale of one to 10, is it like very dangerous or a little bit dangerous? The best way is if you just don't do it, then it's not dangerous because you're not there doing it. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, I don't want to not have experiences and I don't want to need so much money to make sure I'm so protected that I'm untouchable. Mm-hmm. That is the best way, but we can't all do that. So that means the system is winning, you know? Right. So I, I want to go and experience it anyways. So, yeah. Yeah. He definitely did not understand why I wanted to come do all of this. Yeah. Um, my mom is supportive of it. My brother is supportive of it, especially after having gotten the sponsorships and like, you know, seeing people's reactions to it and like them being around in the climbing environment when I'm there and people come up to me to explain like what they've gotten out of watching me and like them seeing how important that is too, just like as a passerby. So they now appreciate what I do. They're now proud of it. Um, they think it's very cool. My mom talks about me to her coworkers all the time. <laughs> so I'm glad she has that. <laughs> do they do they understand rock climbing at all? Yeah, I take my brother. That's cool. Yeah, he's 22. Uh, he's much bigger than I am. He does calisthenics at home, has much healthier life practices. He treats his body like a temple. Um, you don't? You seem like you do. I like chocolate. You know, like I Chocolate's like not so soda bad. once in a while. Antioxidants, you know, and stuff. He he does a better job. you don't drink, job. you don't smoke. No, I don't do any of that stuff. Yeah. Well, I guess on an American scale, I'm doing such a fantastic job. Yeah, totally. But like on a scale of doing absolutely everything I can to okay, excel so and make like the best progress. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, to make the most progress as an athlete, he's doing better than I am. Like I he you. preps all of his meals. It's timed. He does intermittent fasting on purpose. He doesn't skip any training days. You know, he gets his sleep on time. It's scheduled, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have the most uh, consistent sleeping schedule. Mm-hmm. I don't always meal prep. In fact, I hardly do. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I'll have a bag of chips for lunch and that's terrible. Um, I don't drink just water. I drink lots of juice. Occasionally I'll have some soda. So mm-hmm. I could be doing better. <laughs> yeah, we all could. Can um, I share something yeah. that'll make you feel better, I think? Yeah. I was your brother. I was, um, I, I'm like my background is that of an engineer and I have mm. that kind of like systems mindset. I've, I have different sides of me. Like I'm also a musician. So I have like the kind of flowy artist side, but the definite like structure engineer side. And I took that strategy to the extreme. <laughs> like everything was so dialed and it didn't work that well. Really? It, it, didn't, it didn't work better than what I'm doing now, which is way more go with the flow, way more flexible. Mm. Um, um, it is helpful to, to know that, that it, it yeah. didn't feel more successful and that you feel happier now. Yeah. Like I, I always say, you don't need to try everything in this life. Um, some stuff I think are easy. Like, don't need to experience getting hit with the skateboard. Like, for what? That's fine. There's so many things you can just choose to skip. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do absolutely feel that you can enjoy most things in moderation. Mm. Like, as much as I love chocolate, I don't sit down and eat three pounds of it. I have, like, a snack bar. You know, the next day I'll have, like, one or two Reese's. You know, and then maybe like within a week, I'll have like three pieces of chocolate total. Mm-hmm. But that's all it takes for me to have acne. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't need very much. But, you know, that's that's in moderation. It keeps me happy so I can continue to eat the other stuff that seems boring, but does still taste good to me. <laughs> like I love greens. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I love fruits. I, I do enjoy water. It's just every now and again to have the thing that Sorry. isn't the absolute best for you is it's kind of enjoyable. Ah, that makes sense. Where's your fridge? It's in that drawer right there. Oh, that's sick. Yeah, it's, um. I mean, you heard it kick on, right? Like mm -hmm. The microphones don't really pick it up, but um, your microphone... I've had guests sit there when it kicks on and the only thing it, the mic picks up is like this super high-pitched sound um, that you can only hear sometimes. Like, mm. you can't hear it if you're listening in headphones, but if you're driving in a car, mm. you'll hear it. I remember the first time it happened, I was just driving, like doing a sound check on one of, one of my episodes. And I was like, what is that? <laughs> like, no, it sounds, it's like a dog Damn whistle it. in the background. That's frustrating. Yeah. but anyway. After all that time. Were you able to like remove it? Yeah. Okay, that's cool. For the most part. Any, we love anyway. technology. That's yeah, cool. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> you, you can do a lot of things in post. But yeah, I mean, um, you just you just sound healthy. You sound like you have a healthy. In general, balance. I do. I have like um, healthy things I like to do. In general, when I eat my meals, it is protein, carb, veggies for sure. You know, when I have breakfast, there's like usually either a fruit in there or some mix of the others. You know, I. Mm -hmm. I just get lazy because of like not having a lot of personal time for things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, meal prepping is a lot of work. I Maybe when I live on my own, I'll like do it because I'll have the whole fridge. Mm -hmm. and, you know, I'll know where my Tupperware is and things like that. But yeah, I do want to eventually get back to it though. When I was meal prepping, I was like, I don't know, when you're doing one thing that works, the rest of your life seems to like fall in place. Yeah. So like I stuck to training I stuck to having one day fully of just PT in my stretch and I would do that two hour session of stretching mm. consistently, mm -hmm. you know, and I would like do that particular targeted exercise that I hate to do on that day that I have to do it mm -hmm. and complete it and then write down what experience I have. And even though it takes a full month, see the progress of it sucking less, you know, so starting with like the meal prep, other things do line up. I also judge myself so hard. I, I'm my it sounds like critic. you do. Yeah. yeah. I actually have like a quote in front of me from our first conversation that <laughs> says that you never feel like you're doing enough to make a difference. Yeah. I'm like, you? Really? Like, you're like, <laughs> you're killing it. And you are like, I mean, yeah. I mean, what? it's, it's unprecedented. You're stepping into like scary ground, you know, like... You're the first, are you the first black woman to, to have a professional career as a root setter? First, I don't think first I'm the first. Um, I'm the first that I knew. <laughs> uh, my mentor, Melise, said that she used to route set and I didn't realize mm. um, years ago, but she had stopped. She's in school full time working on her PhD in neuroscience. So she's hella smart and she's doing something that's going to affect the black community way more. Um, and then the only other Is she female, based in Washington? She's in Massachusetts. Okay. Yeah. She okay. goes to the CRG gyms when she has time to climb. Okay. Um, and the only other black female identifying setter that I knew outside of myself for a time was Leah, who started setting because she saw my profile on Instagram. Oh, that's so cool. So I was just like, man, I only know me and Leah. Yeah. Um, but then I started to do, um, there is this group called Try Hard Crew based in New York City. 
A few of my really good friends run it. And what they do is in partnership with the gym GP81, they teach people of different backgrounds that identify as lunar non-binary um, how to set. And there is a whole program. It's about three months long. And at the end of it, you're supposed to have enough skills that when you apply to be a setter, you'll have enough of what you need to get that job, which is sick. That's awesome. Uh, so through that program, I met the person who ran it with Cliff and Cliff was teaching her. And I met um, Haneji who took that class. Um, and then we were able to host a fundraiser, though it was a competition, um, to pay for a blackout fest, which happened in November. That was the first outdoor festival run for and by black folks. Mm. Not just for climbing, just be outside and recreate in the space the way that you're supposed to. Mm. Like get all the health benefits of the air, of the earth, of being with people who look Hell like yeah. you, of like doing karaoke, karaoke in front of a fire. Like, nice, yeah. you know, the vendors were black. Like there were artists selling their art that were black. It was so cool to see. That's awesome. It was amazing. Like I was very emotional. It was, it was spiritual for me. I cried on the way home. So I just did not want to leave. I was so upset that I'd have to wait a full year to experience that again. Mm. Um, and it also that, like, I just want to pause on that. That says so much right there. Like that, that experience is so rare and so special for you that you cried on the way home. I did. I cried there too with people. I mean, people. That, for I me, was that's like every like... time I go climbing, right? It's just like a bunch of people that look like me and I'm like, woo, this is fun. <laughs> but that's, man. <laughs> I want that. That's why yeah. I, I give so much. I want other people who identify with me to just have that available. Yeah. You know, like we're starting to have that online. Yeah. Um, but it'd be cool, cool to have it in person too. Mm -hmm. So I hear from the people at Memphis, that's their norm. I'm jealous. <laughs> I'm really excited to go climb there and see what that's like. Nice. Yeah. You haven't been? Um, I haven't been yet. So my first time there will be uh, for this trip. Yeah. Yeah, I'm very excited. I'm hoping like each night when we're done with work, if I'm not exhausted, like go out and see the coach in that area, visit some museums or something. Mm. Was uh, was Brittany Levitt part of the blackout thing? Yes. She runs Brown Girls Climb. Yeah. She was one of the co-founders. Mm -hmm. She's awesome. I just She's interviewed her. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. I just yeah. interviewed her and, um, sorry, not to, not to No, you're good. Her this. and I did talk about that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, when you were talking a minute ago about coming on the trip and like, you know, having, uh, establishing safety and yeah. what that looks like for you. One of the things that she and I talked about was her road trip to California and to, uh, like to, I think it was to Bishop and then to Vegas and like planning out gas stations. You She's know? out there doing it and she's not afraid to do the thing she'll plan yeah but like you know like i don't even have a license she's driving to these places to save money but like to have to do that and i fully understand you have to do that but like i'm taking an even safer route luckily by like you know because my sponsors can reimburse me for the plane ticket by the plane ticket my friend drives me directly to where we're going. <laughs> there are no gas stations in between. I'm straight up bypassing it by plane mm. because I'm more terrified. You know, like mm. if a friend who wasn't as knowledgeable as her said, let's go on a road trip, I would say no. One thing I just said to my dad is there's plenty of things that I turn down now because I don't trust the decision maker um, or because the setup doesn't feel right to me. And the answer is because I, I don't feel safe as opposed to saying, no, my parents wouldn't let me do that. Mm. And their reasoning might be the same, but because it's coming from me, it feels different. And I feel like I understand so much more of how they felt when they would say no to things growing up. 
Was that frustrating when you were a kid? Of course. Right. Of course. We'd be like, why won't you trust my friend? You know? <laughs> yeah. I just want to go <laughs> do things. Of course their parents are smart. Just let me have a sleepover. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course I was upset about it. And there are things you, you just can't explain to kids just yet. You can't let them know all of the wrongs that the country has in place for them and like just tear their whole world down like that. Yes, they have to prepare us. There are some things they tell us early. And it's by step as we get older, but right before we start to get exposed to it. Um, but, you know, as time goes on, there's just like some things you, you just can't tell them yet. You just have to say, you can't trust me. Mm. Yeah. So not knowing why, when my friends could do it, I was like, they're just mean. <laughs> they just want me to be home. I was like, we get one outing every three months. <laughs> not fair. Yeah, it isn't. It isn't, but it's no, not their it's fault. Not. They're doing their job. Right. They're, they you know? just have your safety in mind. Yeah, I, I think Brittany is so, so brave. She's doing so much. She also feels like she's not doing enough, which is insane. Where does that come from? I don't know. Where does it I come think from it for comes you? from like selflessness and having to be strong and taking on the responsibility of doing for your community and altruistically wanting to do so much because there are so many things that need to change without enough resources to do it. So you're taking it all on yourself. Mm. Those changes won't be made quickly, but you always feel like I could do even more and even more and even more to make it faster because there are people right now without who I just couldn't get to. So it just, it just never feels like enough because there is so much that has to change. Mm. You know, I always think it's frustrating whenever someone does that kind of work. It's always at the detriment or the sacrifice of themselves. It's never a paid job. They always do all the things on their own. They always have to like find their own community. Um, and then even within the community, it's tough. Be like you become one of the few people who organize for things. So everyone comes to you now that they know you're available for it. Mm. So you don't get to enjoy the community as just a climber climbing with them. Right. So every time someone talks to you now, it's about work. You know, like because you've decided to take it on full time, they don't realize that this is now a career and like you should be allowed to decompress with your community that you're providing for. Mm. You know, like ask me about my hair instead of like, you know, the project I'm putting together or like what's next for the community while I'm climbing with you recreationally. Mm. You know, now it's not the time to talk about it. Yeah, gotcha. So just you just give and give so much because it's important. But because the change happened so slow, you're just like, I didn't do enough. I didn't see a change. Mm. Yeah. I imagine too. I mean, you mentioned that you're the first in your family to do. There's so many firsts. You're yeah, the first, first to, to so ice many. climb, first to get on at least more than one plane in a year. Like last year, I took, I got on a plane 13 times last year. You know, that yeah. was incredibly cool, and it was all paid for or reimbursed. That's awesome. Um, first to have some kind of like sponsorship for a sport. You know, my dad said to me like, we have to do things that aren't entertainment which means music and sports he's like go be a doctor go be a lawyer go make more of us who do those things mm. so we can have more power so collectively we can make more change together which i fully understand mm-hmm. but i think people can have he see that roles. you're doing that in your own way i now do i now do i i didn't before and that was another way where i felt like i'm just not doing anything to help can your dad see that do you think we haven't talked about to? it in a while, so yeah. we'll we'll see what his views are. Yeah. Yeah. He also is the kind of person who vehemently wants to make change, so yeah. I'm sure he also feels like he's not doing enough. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I just, I brought up the, you know, the first thing, because I just imagine that adds to this sense of responsibility. Yeah. Like you have all the opportunity relative to like your parents, your your grandmother, you know, like I can't uh, your dad's grandmother, right? Exactly. And that's yeah. like, what a burden. I mean, like that's amazing. And, and it's such an opportunity, but also that must feel like a huge weight to carry. Yeah. Um, for a big while, it did feel like a pretty big weight. Um, and it felt like it definitely affected my climbing. I used to climb for the sake of enjoying it. I used to climb for the sake of enjoying the comps, whether I win or not. But like, you know, for work and for wanting to make change now, I need to be a stronger climber so I can get better opportunities, so I can have the position and the authority to give opportunity to other people to make changes right now. So like I no longer was climbing for fun and for me, every session was about making progress, was about training, was about what did I do today that would make me a better climber now? Like, mm. can I climb harder yet? You know, can I teach better? Um, so I took away the fun and everything started to be for external reasons, um, out of obligation. And it's hard sometimes to say that, you know, being here is an act of rebellion. Having a good time is an act of rebellion. Like just sharing my story in some ways is enough. I obviously want to do more than that. That's not enough for me. But in terms of making a change, that does matter to someone. Just me doing this and them seeing it is enough for them to decide to do this and for them to decide I can recreate outdoors. You know, that's their therapy now. They have less trauma. They're not passing that on. Mm -hmm. There's some like, you know, cyclical, cyclical trauma in their life that is lessened because of believing they have access to the outdoors now. I'm going to do that. Yeah. Um, with the passing of my grandma just yesterday, um, I feel like in her honor, it's a waste not to live as fully as I can. Like at 30, I've already done so many things that she never could dream of having the chance to do. Mm. Um, same for my mom. And that's just like two generations down. Um, and I feel like I should be grateful for all the things that I have. And instead of just seeing it as an obligation to do all these things, it should be more like, wow, I'm so lucky I have this freedom she didn't. Mm. You know, and even looking on my dad's side, for damn sure, like more freedom than she had. So it just, for me today, I was finally able to acknowledge like all that I've done and what I'm doing now is so much bigger than I ever could give her credit for. It's kind of sad that a loss helped me see that finally. Um, yeah. But I'm glad that I'm able to see it so that I can enjoy these things and not just make it work because what is the point if I'm not even enjoying it? Yeah. That's the whole yeah. reason I started. I should I should be allowed to have a good time. Right. Just like everybody else, you know, like. Right. Should I decide I've done enough community work and that I just want to tell a story? Um it should be enough for me to just do that. Like I am allowed to just exist in the space and mm -hmm. you know, I do believe I'm allowed to do that and I want other folks who identify with me to know they can do that too. That won't be enough for me. Again, I can't stress enough. I don't want to just be here. I want to do. Mm -hmm. But um, it's okay to just exist. That's like rebellious in itself. Mm. You know, you're not obligated to fix something that someone else fucking started. But I like that. Yeah. 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 Well, you and I already talked about it before we started recording. But again, so sorry to hear about your grandmother. Thank you. It was yeah. hard. It's really hard on my mom right now. 
She's back in New York City and we all knew that she was going to pass soon. We knew she had less than a year. Uh, she was diagnosed with uh, stage four cancer, one cancer earlier in the summer. Um, smoking was her coping mechanism. She wasn't going to stop doing that. It's what she had. Um, so when she found out she had it, she refused chemo and just decided to have hospice and continue living comfortably. Mm. Um, I just hope that it was peaceful in her sleep. I already like cried my eyes out yesterday. I, I'm really glad you didn't show up yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> I was in no condition to even have a smile. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I cried for all the things that she didn't get to have. That mm. was like stolen from her at birth already. Yeah. Um, I cried for the things that she couldn't give my mom and therefore stolen from her to now, you know, and it just made me feel like, you know, just so grateful for all that she's handed to us down the line by existing and continuing to fight through on her own with mm-hmm. that and raise all those kids by herself. She didn't take the easy way out. So I, I appreciate her for fighting and doing that and it's, that's one reason why I feel like, you know, I have to do as well. And I don't just have to, I really want to. Like it's, it's just something that has to be done and I have to be one of the people to do it. Mm. Yeah. You've already talked about this, but I have this question written down and I think it'd be interesting to hear if you have additional thoughts on it. What influence do you hope to have on the climbing community and or the root setting industry? Um... I want everyone of any background, not just those who are black or a female or from identifying to feel like they can come and do this. Like to look at me who came from complete different background, just make it a career despite what my parents thought and say, hey, I can do it too then. I can go have fun. Um, she's afraid of everything, but she's doing it safely. <laughs> I can do it too, you know? Talking um, about you, you feel that you're afraid of everything? I feel like I am. Okay. I, my again taking up the caution my dad has taught me yeah all of my risks are calculated i always always think of all the things that can go wrong and i make contingency plans i i think exit plan first before trying something mm. um can i ask something with yeah. that how much of that do you think is is inherited from your dad's cautious uh caution how much of it is your own lived experience it's both. It started with my dad. And then I've seen so many cases where me being so extra has saved me. Um, as a female, it's disgusting, but it's kind of a rite of passage to get some kind of like sexual assault in this country. Um, so, of course, all of us have experienced some version if they haven't been. That's amazing. And that's what the norm should be. But I have also avoided so much by being as cautious as my father has taught me. Mm. Um, I am just not very trusting. I need very much evidence that a person is good and that a situation is great. And like, you know, even if something goes wrong, the ways that I can protect myself. Um, so I've, I've just avoided so many things and I've seen it almost happen to me and then happen to someone else who didn't have that same kind of mindset. Mm. Um, you know, all of my what ifs, my mom says that to me, she said, always ask what if for a situation. And I decide not to go somewhere. And then something happened. And I'm like, if I were there, if I decided, fuck it, just go have a good time. I can't just 
do that. Yeah. I'm not built that way now. And I've seen too much evidence. And you get one life. You only have to mess up once. That's all it takes. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you just can't afford to risk everything for fun. Mm. You can have safe fun. And I think it's worth it to do it safely so you can fully turn off your brain and enjoy it because you've done all of the thinking before you went to do the activity. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, started with dad. And I've seen evidence on my own of why he's correct in so many situations. Yeah. A lot of my friends, it's so silly. Uh, a lot of folks who didn't grow up that way, you know, will see my cautious stuff and say, it's fine. I'm like, oh, you have an experience. That's why you feel that way. I'm like, okay, well, that's great that you don't know. Um, Are these black friends who didn't grow up with your dad's? Oh, is, is not that, even is like. Is you mean? Or? No. I Okay. So how should I say it? Um so my white friends, yeah, uh, I've discussed with them in the past about like not wanting to go outdoors and climb with them, like, you know, overnight into camp and stuff. Uh, first off, it was during the time that my folks like would not have allowed me to spend the night outside the house that wasn't for school. Uh, but number two, without that, I would say they don't even know sundown towns exist, you know, so without even having to start with that, there is so much for me to teach you. I had to if ask you don't know what, that basic. what a sundown town was. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like that's 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 so much to teach you at the start because right. that comes from a full system. And if you don't know that full system exists, like you would understand why there are people who would decide to hurt me. You say, Well, who would do that? I'm like, Well, you're a good person, so of course you wouldn't think of that. Right. There are people who were taught not to be good persons. Right. It's not their fault they're not. Um, I mean, you don't like, you know, Brittany described what a sundown town town was, and of course immediately it makes perfect sense. And you just like think about our politics right now and it's there are dangerous places for me to go exactly i have no business in florida yeah (laughs) (laughs) they can chop it off and send it we don't even need disney world that's fine (laughs) i would say take texas too but i i want waco tanks so that's unfortunate yeah we'll keep we'll keep waco (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's there's plenty of places i got no business being and like that's what i mean when i say calculated risk like i should get to go out and live life and i will do it in the way that is safe enough where I think, you know, most of the what ifs are taken care of. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of things I want to do that I don't have to do in Florida with that kind of political thing going on right now. Mm-hmm. I could do it elsewhere. I want to say this is kind of a non sequitur, but I'm I'm really grateful that you're here and that you're so open and that you're willing to just share your perspective and your experience and like what you, like the levels at which you have to think about going on a climbing trip. Um, I think I said this to Brittany too, but like there's times where I pull over at a rest stop and I forget to lock my van. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like I don't, you know, I don't, something could happen for sure. Like yeah. some creepo. I'm could really like, glad it didn't. You're great. So I, I want that for you. I want thank all you. the safety. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. But I mean, like what, like that is privilege. Yeah. You know, like the things that I take for, I mean, there's so many things that so many of us take for granted or just, or just have never even stopped to think about. And uh, that's not to make anyone feel guilty, but it's just once like hearing your perspective, I think helps all the rest of us like really appreciate those things differently, you know, and appreciate like the, the, yeah, like the, depth, the um, complexity, the just how entangled like these societal issues are 
and um, how deep they go, I guess. Yeah. Um, I was going to say what makes it easier for me to be so open and share is the fact that community and conversation and getting to know people is how you solve things. It's how you change minds. You have mm. conversations. I think you educate each thing. other. Like you meet people from a background you never met. And then you realize all you know about them is what you've learned in media. And that is a very targeted propaganda. So, of course, it's wrong. Right. You have to learn from that person yeah. what they're about. I can't know anything about you until I talk to you, mm-hmm. you know. And then I think of all the privileges that I have, too. We all have something that other people don't. Um, and there are plenty of things in life that I never knew was an issue until someone from that background shared it. And I was like, oh, I've. I've never considered that because I've never had to. So how many times is there something that I have to think about that someone else hasn't had to because why would it affect them? Our country does such a good job of keeping those issues separate and like Mm. you can't talk about it type thing. Um, I'm able-bodied. I'm severely lucky for that. Right. Um, I have classical features like, you know, someone would find it easier and palatable to listen to what I have to say even though I am darker skinned because they might find it easier to look at me and decide that what I have to say matters. Um, I'm soft spoken. That was a really like elegant like, way of like acknowledging that you're a knockout. Like that was, <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel like I am. I just, I just, palatable <laughs> features. I'm like, that's great. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> I can only say that because someone else said that to me when it came to like brand marketing. They were like, oh, you have this going. And I was like, really? (laughs) And they were like, yeah, what do you mean? I'm like, well, I don't know. No one says that to me. And they're like, well, people listen to what you have to say. And I'm like, is it not because I say it nicely? (laughs) (laughs) It's both. It's for sure both. Yeah. No, you're you're incredibly well-spoken. Thank you. Yeah. I, I try to be. I wanted to be a writer before vet. Oh, really? So, yeah. Journalism I love I or? love storytelling. I mm. I wanted to write novels and give cautionary tales oh, for the cool. youth. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. I think mm-hmm. of stuff like that. I kind of have um my bucket list thing like that is music. Mm. I, I kind of I studied music in college and then I went into engineering and then I got into climbing and now I do this and music's still this like undone thing, you yeah. know. There's like a career in music that I can kind of that I feel like I need to try or pursue. And maybe that's like a 10-year chunk of my life in like my 50s. I have no idea. You know what I mean? But it's it's yeah. cool to think that I could pursue this and and pursue my own climbing and do this podcast for literally decades, like a couple decades, and then still have 10 years to pour into music if I wanted to. You could write a book. You could write a you know, You're the fifth person to books. tell me write a book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have so much time. Like, you could you could take take writing back up and like get really into it and write a book. I feel like I do ten years from now the or, teaching or later. and via like my posts and stuff. Like, yeah, I still get to experience storytelling. That's cool. Yeah. Who inspires you, Mom? Mm. Yeah, easily. She's Why? she's strong, not in a physical way, but that woman just doesn't give up. She won't sit down. <laughs> Like, she's had 11 surgeries now, and she's 44. I'm remembering. She was she was a first responder. For 9-11. For 9-11. Yeah, and, and that kind of like... she's had health complications ever since. Yeah. 
just what? stacked on each other. Yeah, tell me, tell me more. Tell me what happened. Uh, so the first thing that happened to her was gynecology issues. Like that runs in our family. She's had a complete hysterectomy. Um, but they left the ovaries so that way she didn't reach uh, early menopause. Um, and then they had to <laughs> remove that. Damn. So she she was in menopause. <laughs> I know. Uh, she has um, rheumatoid arthritis and arthrosis. So like deteriorating of the joints and the bone. Um, she has GERD, which is like a something going on with her esophagus. She has acid reflux. She has anemia, just like I do. She probably has Reynolds, like I do, for like bad circulation, which is why I love the warmth so much. Uh, she's had hip and knee surgery, now a second knee surgery. Um, she's had a shoulder slap repair. She has tumors that grow and dissipate and then grow back. So that she'll mm. remove those for her. Yeah. They just removed one in her shoulder. She gets one under her foot that comes and goes. She has, she gets to give it a name. Uh, she would have cysts that grow and go away on the scar tissue in her abdomen. Um, what else she has going? There's something going on with her eye now. Is this, what is this? Is this like chemical, like toxicity from? What's, what's, I, I think that's what it is. So there were three kinds of like disabilities people got because of that. It would either be cancer, a lung situation, or what we like to call what the fuck. That hmm. means like the case is very different. People who look at health, not in a holistic way, do not have the, the ability to help you because they need to look at the whole system at the same time. Yeah. So Western medicine sucks for that. Right. Um, there were doctors working on two different issues that she was going through and they put her on so many medications, she had a stroke. Whoa. Um, that was a very scary time. Um, and she was on control C substances for a while for pain medication. Um, and became dependent on it because of her pain tolerance. Oh, there's that. She also has fibromyalgia, which makes everything hurt more. That's what that disease is. Mm. And it was my dad who said, why did they have you on 10 different medications? Did they not talk to each other about working on the same organism? They hadn't. Mm. So she dropped a bunch of them and her health got better. Mm. Uh, so over wow. the years, um, my dad's been looking into herbology on his own. Because he just, you know, he questions everything and he's found ways to help her get off of those medications. So with everything she has going on, she drinks tea and takes ibuprofen now. Wow. Yeah. Her mind is cleared up as well. Like she was on, um, I forget the name of this medication that is very common, but it sucks. But it causes bone thinning and it causes mind fogginess. And she was on it for a very long time. Mm. Um so she'd forget something last week. She's forgotten many of things that happened a few years ago in our childhood because of this medication. It just takes some memories you have and like leaves it behind. Man. So she's done a good job of continuing to fight through like, this is depressing, right? It's your life that it's happening to. And like, no matter what you do with your health and your eating and trying to exercise, you still break down. You're like, well, what's the point? You know, like her biggest carry on was that she needs to be here for us. Mm. So like we are so grateful to her as her kids and she's she's just such a strong person. I can't say that if I were in her position, I could have continued on. I'm extremely proud of her. I tell her that all the time. She's so fucking strong. That's um, yeah, She's stronger that's than amazing. anybody that I know. The only person stronger than her might have been my grandma. 
you know, like my grandma passed down that strength to her because she, my grandma, believe it or not, had it even tougher. Hmm. So, yeah, I feel like I have it easy <laughs> compared to them. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. That's cool. Yeah. I, I love how uh, it's always fun to ask people things like that and they just have a super quick answer. Oh, like it's, it's just, just easily mom. Yeah. My dad's great too, but he's not falling apart. <laughs> <laughs> His body is working correctly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For the most part, he's doing fine. And we will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Rumple. My Rumple blanket is literally one of my favorite things I own. It's so cozy. It's like having the coziness of a puffy sleeping bag with you wherever you go. Check out this story. On a surf and ski trip through California, the founders of Rumpel got stuck in the back of their car in freezing temperatures and had to bundle in their sleeping bags and sip whiskey to stay warm while they waited for rescue. Cozy and warm in their sleeping bags, they realized they were even cozier than they typically were in their beds at home. The idea for a sleeping bag blanket was born. Rumpel's original puffy blanket is made of the same materials as your favorite outdoor gear. It pairs durable 20D ripstop nylon with a durable water-repellent finish, so it's water-resistant, stain-resistant, and odor-resistant. This thing is the best. As I said, it's the coziest blanket you could ask for. Perfect for staying warm at the boulders or at the crag. Great for camping. I have one in my van and use it all the time. And just great to have around the house. It'll be your new favorite blanket, full stop, whatever the circumstances. Go to rumple.com slash nugget and use code nugget at checkout to get 10% off your order. That's 10% off your first order when you go to rumple.com slash nugget and use code nugget at checkout. This episode is brought to you by Rocky Talkie. I love these things. I never thought I'd go back to using radios in the year 2023, but these things are awesome. Here's the deal. We all have phones, but sometimes phones aren't very helpful. Let's say you're climbing a multi-pitch or you're backcountry skiing or sitting on a chairlift and you don't want to drop your phone in the snow or you're mountain biking and it's a pain to stop and get your phone out or you just don't have service. Phones are not always the best option. The best way to communicate in the backcountry is with Rocky Talkies. I've actually been using these for bouldering. I often record interviews in the morning and I go climbing in the afternoon and I wanna meet up with my friends and the Rocky Talkies have been awesome when I don't have cell reception. The max range on these things is 25 miles and they typically work up to one to five miles in the mountains and backcountry terrain. I haven't tested the range on these things, but so far they've always worked with zero issues, even in rocky areas like Waco. I've never had a problem. So check them out. Get 10% off your first pair of Rocky Talkies by going to rockytalkie.com slash nugget. That's rockytalkie.com slash nugget for 10% off your first order of backcountry radios. And now back to the show. Well, it's really fun to hear about the influence that you want to make. And uh, I just wanted to say that you're, you already know this, I'm sure, but, but, um, you're already making it and you're, you're already influencing people. And I actually 
had a really fun conversation with Marie Louise. Marie and, Louise, yeah. she's great. Yeah, <laughs> she's so great. Yeah, on the athlete, on the North Face athlete team. Yep, yeah. We met in uh, in El Paso at the climbing gym. I was rehabbing my injury. Mm. She was using the kilter board. We hung out for a little bit, and uh, she was so fun to talk to. And then yeah. uh, she she's left, and then and then came back, and we had a really fun day out in Waco. And she made the connection. I think I'd already talked to you and you said that like there was some young black woman who you had influenced and met or something. And I think it was her. Like, mm-hmm. is that right? Like she, I think she, I, I made that connection talking to her that she, um, at least she said like that she, she's drawn a lot of inspiration from you and <laughs> you've kind of shown her that it's possible and she's psyched and getting after it with her own videography and everything that she's up to, photography and stuff. Uh, but she has a question for you. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I reached out to her yesterday. <laughs> she says, uh, I-, I thought this was such a cool question. It's about your climbing. Okay. Um, she writes, I'd love to hear Addie speak about the mind-body connection she gets from climbing. Mm. Uh, when she climbs, does she feel very in her body or is it more of an outer, out-of-body experience? I love that question. Um Funny enough, one of the members of our gym, Orion, I hope he hears this, asked me that same question last week. Whoa. Yeah. So I had time to think about it. Perfect. Um, (laughs) Both. Okay. When I am working on something that takes a lot of focus, but I don't really know how to do it, and I'm trying to find and fine tune the small differences I need to make it work. I'm very much in the present and in my body. Um, when I'm doing something that's similar to like when you play Guitar Hero and you're watching the notes and you're just pressing, but you're not even thinking about it. Um, I love that you, I love that Guitar Hero was the <laughs> first thing that you thought of the comparison. I mean, like, yeah, like your body's doing the thing. Your mind is like is taking like in magic. the information. It's magic. Yeah, You're out of your body when you're playing that. And you're trying not to think because that'll fuck up the flow. Right. So when I'm doing something climbing, like especially on slab, um, and I'm letting my body just do its thing, I am out of it. Mm. And I am a passenger and I am watching and I feel like my thoughts are separate from my mind and my unconscious. And I think when I'm trying to learn climbing, I'm training that unconscious and then when it does it on its own, it's out of my hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I totally resonate with that. I totally resonate with that. I think muscle memory is so important. It's like, I think the biggest part of climbing. So when you can't see a hold, but you have a tick mark in your head, what I'll do like six times in a row is from the position I'll be in, go for it until it feels like I catch it perfect each time. Then I'll do the move and catch it right. Mm. But like... I wasn't telling myself, do it. My unconscious did it at that time. Mm -hmm. So because I didn't think and I let the physical happen, that was the part where I was out of my body for. But like I was in it as I was trying to learn it. Mm -hmm. Have you read The Inner Game of Tennis? No. chance? That's what just came to mind. I just talked about this with Louis Parkinson too, but it's a book about tennis, obviously, but it's really a book about skill learning. Mm. And it's um, it's like the, it's a tiny little book. It's quick to read. And I think it's the book that I've given away the most to, to, to climbers. Um, and it's basically, I mean, that's the conceit of the book. It's like just trusting your subconscious, your unconscious mind to like learn, th- like your, your subconscious or your unconscious is better at learning than 
than you are, than your conscious mind, you know, and just like feeling things and letting things happen um, and paying attention without judging, mm. like watching other people climb, watching them do a move and really noticing, but not judging. Mm. You learn so much. Yeah. Which is like weirdly in, uh, counterintuitive because you mm. think that you want to be paying close enough attention to notice what's good or bad or try to understand why a move works. And at least the conceit of this book is that if you let all that go and you just really pay attention and notice things, your body just kind of like learns from that. That's pretty cool. That's think, what I think I get out of watching competition at the high level. Mm. They'll do something. I'm like, oh, wow, that was an option. Like, <laughs> I would have never thought to do that. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who inspires you in climbing? Hmm. Or in setting? In setting, I watch so many different people and I follow so many different profiles for aesthetic reasons, for the way they talk about movement. Um, I don't know if you know Udini from a German team. No. Uh, he's a coach, fantastic coach. Um, he talks about dynamic movement. He'll break down what we're watching on a move during a competition. And he'll talk about breaking it down literally why the first few attempts didn't work and what changes this climber made to make this move work and why. The pathing that the hips took, which direction it turned, the foot placement, the timing, um, the amount of like, you know, how much force they had when they caught the hand um, and like where their eyes were looking as they did each thing. Whoa. The timing of which muscle firing. I feel like watching his pages uh, inspires my mind to try to break things down to even that level without a diagram watching people. I certainly do that when watching myself on the climb. Mm. I'll replay a particular part like 15 times and try to understand what's happening there that's different than the time before and what I should try now. And it's made it so much easier for me to coach other people while watching them, um, especially after I've experienced the climb myself too. But even before that, just watching and saying, I think you with what you're doing now in your comfort to try this thing like just today. I coached the boys I climbed up with on all the things I tried. Did I send all of them? No, but I told them what their body needed. Mm. <laughs> you know, and I think that's a more important skill. Um, in terms of setting, I'm not even sure. I think I just, I feel like I'm still so new to it and there's still so many more pages to follow and many people to find that Anytime I come across a setting page, I just go through all the content to see if there's something I haven't seen before. That's awesome. You're hungry. Yeah. Yeah. The, that's the thing, too. I, I want to be better right now. I don't want to wait five years. Who has five years? <laughs> At 35, do you think I can do these dinos? No. <laughs> I don't have the time. So, well, so that's really... I want to be level five tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> You're on your way. That's really interesting, though. So where is all of this heading? That's a good question. Because that's, that's an interesting comment. Like, you're, you're almost 30. You're very young. Mm. But root setting is brutal. Yeah. And how long can you really do it full time? No, you know, nobody knows. That's kind of something we're all learning together right, right now as climbing is changing so rapidly. Um, where's all this heading for you? I don't even have a goal. I feel like I used to, but 
every year I accomplish things that I don't think I could have and I give myself permission to aim higher. Uh, so this year I don't even have like a top of the goal anymore. I'm just like allowing myself to just see what my options are. Like I, like, you know, what if, Two years from now, I'm not in the gym and I'm just public speaking and I'm getting paid like, I don't know, 10000 per commission or something. And like I have enough to put into savings in my own 401k or something. And like I'm still traveling to set and like have all these gigs. Like maybe I allow myself that, you know, maybe I am not just setting. Maybe I'm not even coaching kids teams anymore. Maybe I'm just selling like training plans to people like I don't know. I just want to keep trying all the things and get as far as I can and all the stuff I'm doing now so that I can have more options later that I didn't even know were possible. Mm. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. What do you envision public speaking looking like if it becomes more of your career? Is that like more corporate stuff? Is that within climbing? Is that within your community? Well, like, what does that look like? I would like? say all of it. Um, I would say I would love public speaking corporately because I feel like if I do it for big companies, I can open up their minds for one. Folks who haven't seen someone like me doing these things would be exposed to it. Two, I can ask them for the most payment I could and then that would allow me to do community stuff pro bono if possible. Mm. It would be cool to just be able to do those things regardless. Like what I... What I really want to do um, years from now, not even for my own career, but community-based, I definitely have goals. I want to set up plans um, career-wise so that way Black identifying folks can have a pathway to get up to level two quickly. Like from your first day setting to two years from now, you're a level two setter. Mm. How long uh, does that typically take? <laughs> At least like six or something like that. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's... It's it's such a bottleneck. There's not many level two clinics happening. Um, there's not many people that get accepted. There's definitely a bigger group of people that want it than those that have it. Many people get denied. They want you to apply multiple times. Mm. The amount of times you apply gives you a better chance the next time. Mm. Uh, they want you to set for so many different um, competitions. And like, I don't know very much, but it sort of feels as if your recommendation doesn't even matter. I don't even know how they decide who gets it. I mm. want his job. I want to be doing that. I want to have a separate group of folks that can integrate into everyone else once they've gotten past that hard part of like getting in to have the same job and set, as well as for coaching and getting uh, paid for it, as well as being an athlete and getting sponsorships, being paid for it, um, as well as those that want to be coaches, you know, like... I want to have a pathway that's fast and direct with all the resources for folks who identify as black to get in and get up to this place that they're trying to get to early without all the bullshit. That's my goal. I want to be like, oh, yeah. oh you want to be part of this? Cool. Join this program for free. Here are all these resources. Here are all this learning. Like here are all of these people to do it with these mentors, like these people that exist already. You don't lose them to talk to. Like you gain this friendship now and they exist until they pass on. You know, you just have these lifelong friendships and mentors and we just have like a freaking like chain of a supply of like more folks doing what I'm doing. So it's not just me doing all of it. Mm. That's my goal. Yeah. 
Hell and then yeah. I'm somewhere along the way getting paid enough to do it. <laughs> Somehow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What about climbing goals? Personal mm. climbing goals. I'd like to get into double digit at some point. Yeah. That'd be sick. Sometimes I feel close. Sometimes I feel far. But that's okay. progress. I'll never let go of last year. I almost got my first V10. And it broke my heart. <laughs> it was my style climb. It was indoors. Um Oh, that's so funny because I was like, why don't you just go back? But it doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> God damn it, gym climbing. I know. <laughs> that's why I think that's some people That's a huge feel... perk of being a rock climber. You can try yeah. things for years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't have to send it today. Yeah. You don't have to send it this year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I. whenever I come across something my style that's like, harder i like jump at the chance i'm like oh my gosh finally the stars have aligned what's your style slab foot first nonsense <laughs> um static uh techie tic-tac like hand movements and like drop knee stuff mm. on a vert cool um yeah i like those the best and i feel like i'm pretty stellar at those for everything else it's pretty hard or i might be just average i'm just i'm like trying to think of rock climbs like v10, <laughs> v10 rock climbs that are like the epitome of that style i'll think there's, about there's that. one climb i saw that dr jeff did uh jeff Who? Hugh, who's on the la sportiva okay. team he's in british columbia i think he's in squamish he climbs there a lot um there's a v10 that he did and yes he's hella strong yes he's stronger than me and taller than me but it was like a toe hook first climb and he was struggling on like some of the moves. And I was like, that might be the one for me. I might have to go to Canada <laughs> to get my first 10 yes. outside. Like it just looks so much like my style. Like I have no idea what those holds feel like. But to tell me I can take the weight off of my hands, that's all that I need. All you need to give me is a knee bar or a toe hook. <laughs> <laughs> so, Yeah. Yeah, I definitely, that's one of the things on my list to go and try and see how far I get. Nice. Yeah, there is a climb out here called Oompa Loompa. I think it's a V7. Um, it's a small boulder that's pretty close to the V2 called Monkey Bars. And it's so silly. You start low. There's like some knee bar situations. You traverse to the right and then you traverse left and you go up to top out. And... I got my knee bar in so well, I got stuck in the wall. Like, I couldn't get off the climb. <laughs> so I had to go backwards and start over. And each attempt, I got more tired, but I cut out more moves and more fluff to where the first move was just a single knee bar, straight out to the crimp I need, straight up to the sloper that I'm on, and then the very hard part of reaching kind of outside of my reach. Uh, it's like a slow into fast movement. But because that's my style, that's why I got on that seven. Look, I looked at the other ones around that were like on overhang, on bad crimps. I was like, nope, nope, not that one. <laughs> so I'm a little surprised by that. I mean, I see your, I'm, I'm not because I see, I follow you on Instagram and mm -hmm. you talk about your style. So I know that that's your style, but um, you lift weights. You're like super strong <laughs> at that stuff. Why, why don't you climb more overhanging stuff? I feel like your builds, like the training that you do, I feel like you'd be well suited for that. Maybe I'm just intimidated by it. That's fair. And then also, whenever they throw crimps on the overhang, I just know I'm not going to hold on to it long enough. 
It's not that I can't crimp, I just don't have endurance. Okay. <laughs> Maybe I have it for a second. But then you're telling me <laughs> cut feet <laughs> while hanging on to that crimp, you yeah, know? Yeah. And my style is always like, you know, get the weight off of my feet, get the hips. And the heavier part for me is the lower half. Get it where it's going. My toe show can do whatever it has to afterwards. Mm. So if I'm on overhang and I have to be on a crimp and I'm not allowed to take the weight off the feet, I'm just like, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. it's so much harder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's tough. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever things are my style in the cave, I'm projecting as hard as like the nines. Mm-hmm. But whenever it's just like big, powerful jumps and stuff, I'm back down to be six. Okay. Sixes and sevens. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. I'm That's, trying to like work on like all the weaknesses. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's so many to a, work on. There's so many to work on. It's a lifelong lifelong journey. Um yeah. I think it's something I'm appreciating or doing more now that I really love is like being a little bit more immersive mm. in in like a style, like getting really interested in a type of thing and like mm. going deeper into it. I feel like that's um I've done that kind of on and off throughout my climbing and I did that at Smith for instance but um like now it's like a specific type of steep boulder problem like that's Mm. what I really want to get a lot better at and it's I really like it it's really fun it's fun to just like I don't care about slabs right now I don't care about yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah I know um it took a long time though coming from Smith it was like years Mm. to kind of um reinvent myself as a climber I guess yeah, but it's but it's worked. It's it's really gratifying, and now that it's now that I'm better at it, it's like way more fun. Yeah, um, when when you start to see progress, then it's fun. Yeah, <laughs> like if you're just bad at it, like it's so hard totally. to get up and do it. Like there's so many other things you could do instead for you to enjoy climbing. Mm-hmm. You know, I've spent so much time on slab because I love it. Mm-hmm. I feel like like a fish in water on that on the slab wall. You probably you know? love Squamish. Really? Yeah, there's some hard slabs okay, there. We got it. We got to go. We got to plan a trip. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. I would love to go back to Squamish. I haven't been in years. It's awesome. I've never left the country, so it'd be a good first place to stop. Yeah, cool. Yeah, and it's uh, you go in the summer because otherwise it's you know risky with the rain, mm. and so it'll be warm and it'll be perfect for you. A little warm that. for me, and it'll be perfect. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. You have your fan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you love the fan. Charge the fan. <laughs> totally. Um, weightlifting. I wanted to ask mm. you about weightlifting because you get asked about weightlifting a lot. Yeah. Why do you do it, and what is your goal? I weightlift because um, Coach Shaney told me to, Tyson Shaney. that is my really good friend how did you get connected with tyson he's in seattle you're in new york yeah so my really good friend jenna was on their team she came to fordham in new york for school when she was visiting i was like oh my god another strong female i did my best to make her stay and she stayed new york is welcome (laughs) um we became really good friends climbed together she got hella strong when she started to train just a little bit that's all she needed um and when she was going back to Seattle for a trip, uh, she invited me up and her folks were like, yeah, stay with us at our place. Like, you know, come have fun, climb with Jenna. So I went up with her in January of last year uh, for a week. I met her coach, Tyson. He inspired me to tears with words. Mm. And his advice for me was, one, get out of your head. Two, climb more, for God's sake. Three, after each session, core work and uh, lifting. He said, don't skip that. Mm. And it did make a difference for me. My goal with lifting is to get to a point where 
Lifting double my weight is easy and comfortable because if I can do that, I can dino to the moon. Deadlifting? Yeah. Yep. Hell yeah. Like my... That's awesome. Adductors are hella fucking strong now mm-hmm. because I sumo deadlift. I decided mm. not to just stand up. I was like, let me target what's also weak. Mm. Uh, and I targeted that because compression was so hard for me. Oh, cool. Not anymore in the legs. Yeah. Because of that. And like when I have to do a pull foot, I can pull on that damn foot now. Wow. I never thought of sumo yeah. being better for your adductors. That makes perfect sense though. Yeah. Or like when I have to stand into something and drag the foot to keep tension. Like I can do that. And it shows in my climbing shoes. That's where the hole is. <laughs> It'll be on the side of the squeezing. foot that drags. Yeah. Yeah. So I can cool. keep so much tension in that foot, even though I'm not standing on something. Uh, I just, I got to figure out how to do that with my arms because compression is tough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think ring yeah. flies are really good for that. Ring flies? What's that? Ring flies. It's like you're um like you're in like a push up. You're like in a push up position with the rings. Okay. Um. So imagine, yeah, imagine I'm in a push up, like holding myself on the rings, and mm-hmm. you just go straight out to the side and like bring your chest down to the ground. Oh my god, that's so hard. Your feet are on the ground. That is so like hard. Yeah, yeah. You can start from your knees, or you can start like really inclined, like you're almost like standing up. Oh, and you're doing true. it like out in front of you. I didn't think about progression into that. Yeah, yeah. Someone told me that movement. I saw Fabio Dubic doing it and I tried and like hit the floor immediately. Yeah. <laughs> she's so she's strong. So strong. Yeah. She's so freaking strong. Yeah, I wonder how many cats she's doing one arm pull-ups with nowadays. <laughs> she can probably have them all in one arm yeah. and still do the pull-up. I love her strength. It's inspiring. Like I, I want to get to the point where I'm sitting still and someone's like, oh my gosh, those biceps. Like, I want to be like her. <laughs> That's my goal. Just nice. like sitting still looks like flexing. <laughs> I love it. Um, but yeah, I I went to try that and it was so hard that I gave up on the exercise. I didn't even think about progressing to that. Totally. I'm doing that when I get home. Nice. I'm doing that tomorrow at the gym. Nice. I'm going to try incline. Yeah. That is, that's such good advice. I'm actually, I'm doing them right now um, to rehab the, like the final stage of like rehab for the elbow. Yeah. I partially tore my bicep tendon back in December. And so it's, it's really good for that because right at the end, it's like a super exposed position where your arm's under tons of strain and it's almost straight. Mm. Right. So you're like, you're in this mostly straight, like slightly flex position. Um, so it's been great for that, but I, I'm like almost vertical, like standing almost all the way up doing out in front of me. So it's mm. like the easiest progression and that's been like a perfect place to start. So, okay, I'll start there. Yeah, and then you just kind of like bring your feet back, you know, <laughs> back, 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 back. Yeah. I always keep track in my notebook about how many steps I am in front of the plumb line. Ah. So I'm like, okay, today I was doing them with my feet, like four feet out in front of plumb line. So like way out in front, almost standing, standing up vertical. And then eventually it's like bring your feet back to plumb line and then behind and eventually you're like, you're, I don't know, your chest is even with plumb line and you're like doing the, the hard way. Yeah. That's they're cool. burly. They're cool. They, they, feel... they certainly look cool. My, so my little brother at home does calisthenics and gymnastics. Mm-hmm. He thinks CrossFit is stupid and a joke. <laughs> um, I showed him the few times that I could ever do a muscle up and I had to kip. He said, those don't count. <laughs> <laughs> He can do it slowly. <laughs> That's cool. Which is the coolest, the smoothest way. So he's given me so many exercises that are active training for like my elbows. I, for a time, was getting such severe tendonitis, um, but it's gone because I started doing his exercises. Oh, cool. Yeah. It's a version of what you said, but on the ground with my own weight. 
Um, so I'll be on the floor this way. I'll have my uh, my knees together and I push myself up into hollow body and pull forward past it until I'm about to fall. But my arms are straight as I bear that weight. So I'm building the muscle here. Pull forward past it until you're about to fall. What do you mean by that? Um, I'm going to try to describe this when you... When you're done. <laughs> it's hard to do on a podcast, but I'm going to try. Okay. Because a lot of people struggle with elbow tendonitis, so I think this could be helpful to share. I think so, too. Um, so if you get on all fours on the flat ground, and then you twist your arms, so that way your inner elbows face away from you. Um, so your palms are down, and your fingers are pointed down towards your knees. Yes, down towards your knees. Now bring your knees together, um, and then you're going to... Tuck your pelvis up and you're going to push your chest away from the floor as if you're trying to do hollow body. Then you lift your knees off the ground with your toes pointed and you're going to, while keeping tension in your feet, pull with your core so that way your shoulders go forward past your wrist. So you're going to feel like you're going, your face is going to hit the ground. Mm. Yeah, don't go far the first time. <laughs> um, and your arms will be... Out past your shoulders, your hands will also face about 45 degrees instead of straight to your knees. Okay. Um, and your arms have to stay straight and your shoulders have to be pushed away to keep that tension so you don't just hit the ground. Mm. Um, and doing this exercise of dragging your feet past, uh, with your feet dragging your, your shoulders past your, your wrist has been the exercise. It's very active. It's a lot of core. It's a lot of full body. Um, so it's like a, it's a planche. Yeah. But with it's your feet, preparing for but a planche, with your feet, on, feet the on the ground. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Yep. Planche with feet on the ground. There we go. Yeah. I'm going to try that. Yeah. It's, it's helped me a lot. My tendonitis is gone. What does a session look like? Are you holding for like time or are you doing reps of a certain uh, amount? I'm doing time, reps or? of it. I can't hold for very long. Yeah. It sounds I'm, really hard. I'm, yeah. I quite prefer exercises like that, that I can't do many reps of. But I can focus on form because I'll have so much like performance success from just being able to go from one rep to two rep. Mm. Like it's just going to show on my climbing better. Mm. I just don't know what all those exercises are that I could do yet. Um, but I'll do maybe five of those. Just like singles? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Just five. I'll come back. And every time I do it, I try to have even better form getting into it. That's cool. Um, my goal eventually is to move as far out as my brother does to where I'm almost doing a planche. Because um, if I could do a planche, then that means no tendonitis ever. <laughs> but, you know, just the planche training will be helpful for climbing. Anytime I do... It looks so cool, too. It's so cool! <laughs> I would love <laughs> to be able to do is that. awesome! Yeah. Does your brother climb at all? He climbs a little bit. I've okay. been bringing him in to try it. He'd probably be really good. He has all the fitness for it, but, you know, again, like, he's doing gymnastics... So his body is stiff. Okay. You know, I've taught him how to do a drop knee and like the whole body shifts at the same time. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> and then he'll do the move. It's like robotic. <laughs> yeah. 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 So like, you know, trying to get him to understand what are the different movements the body can do, how to take weight off the hands. Um, he already does a good job of hanging with like his shoulders and his body. He doesn't just pull from the biceps usually. Mm -hmm. The exception is if the hold is too good, he'll forget he has feet because mm. he's too strong. I'm like, no, pretend you're weaker. Use your feet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, that's interesting. I, I did a follow-up recently with Ollie Tor, who, um, 
you know, one of the coaches at Lattice and mm. one of the founders of, of Lattice and he is an ex-gymnast and someone asked him, one of my patrons asked him, um, what were like some of the biggest benefits and in what ways was being a gymnast unhelpful mm. for climbing? What, how was it helpful? How was it unhelpful? And he said that as a gymnast, you're so focused on form you're doing things perfectly well within your strength limitations by mm. the time you're doing your your routine. Um, so you're over-gripping. You're like over-tensing everything. He squeezes too hard, yeah. Right, because <laughs> everything's about like looking perfect. You're not trying to conserve energy for efficiency. So you're just going to the max all the time and like squeezing everything all the time and like tensing your entire body. And so for him, transitioning to climbing, climbing is all about like the yin and yang, right? And like learning how to turn things off and and be flowy and then be snappy when you need to and turn things on when you need to. And I think that was like the 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 hardest part, like unlearning that and learning how to kind of flow was was the hardest part. So it sounds really similar to your brother. That's really cool. Yeah. To like know that because I feel like they, first off, have such a strong base to come in to climb. Totally. And to have such a good understanding of dynamics how to fly on the wall and has to be such great body tension. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know they're not using their feet, but they have a good idea of how to have tension in the calf. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell me about PT day. PT day. Uh, so that'll be when I do all of my stretches and all of my exercises that are annoying to either work on an injury or prevent injury at a spot that I think is weak. So I'll work on all the joints I'll do like um, lots of work with bands, resistance bands for my wrist, for my shoulders. I'll do some things with my ankles to keep the flexion good. I'll do stability exercises on a BOSU ball to make sure that I can, you know, hold different poses and go through different movements without needing my foot to be flat on the surface. I'll do all of my hip mobility things. Uh, and my PT is usually pretty active uh, exercises. Um to gain mobility. That way I still have strength. So I'll start with dynamic stretches for everything. Then I'll go and get my resistance bands and then I'll do the very um, targeted active exercises, especially for my hips and for my uh, shoulders. And then I'll do like a two hour stretch session at the end of it. Wow. Yeah. So is this is this like once a week? What does this look like? That would be once a week when I was doing this consistently once yeah. a week. Now that's it's cool. Like that's once a that's month. a hard. Okay, okay. I was gonna say. <laughs> yeah, that's, I just don't have the time. That's a hard <laughs> session to stick to, man. It that is, is the hardest. But I feel type of, so amazing afterwards. Totally. Yeah. It's always, always, <laughs> always worth it. But then I'm just yeah. like, damn, that's all day, isn't it? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, and when you're not, when you don't have like um, it's you know, it's easy to do when you have to, right? But like mm-hmm. when you don't have an actual issue and it's all prevention, it's so hard to stick to it. It's the first thing to go for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all the preventative stuff, all the like extra stretching and things like that. I remember the first time I panicked is when I started to lose my split. I was like, "Oh my god, oh no!" How did you get your? <laughs> how did you get the split? I just I just did yoga all the time, and I would like sit in those positions and keep it there. And then again with the active exercises, like while my legs are pretty far apart, either in a straddle position or like front position, having tension there. But the goal was just to get my hips closer and closer to the ground. Um, And then I kept it by doing the static stretches every day. So I didn't skip a day and then I never lost it. But I would do the active stuff like once a week. Wow. Yeah. It takes work to keep that. 
Yeah, I bet. And yeah, the what? first time I struggled to get my foot up, I was like, what is going on? <laughs> <laughs> this no. is not me. <laughs> I was so upset. <laughs> what did you do then? Did you did you double down on your... I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, there's no way. <laughs> I was like, I need to keep the splits till like 90. There's no way I'm losing that. That's, <laughs> That's the so easiest sick. one to keep. Like, <laughs> if I have no other strength, I will keep the splits. <laughs> yeah. You're gonna keep them till ninety. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to yeah. get the splits by ninety. That's my new goal. <laughs> yeah. That's the other thing too. It's so tough that <clears throat> as you gain muscle, you start to lose mobility, mm. and you just have to spend so much more time on recovery because your muscles just tighten, mm. and that gets expensive. There's only so much, with my knowledge, that I can do for recovery on my own with like you know a tennis ball. Or the foam roller or with different stretches or with a massage gun. Like at some point you have to go to a massage therapist and they have to just work the knots out. Mm -hmm. It's expensive. Yeah, totally. I know. Yeah, it's really expensive to try to be a great athlete. We can all be good. Like, <laughs> it's really expensive to be great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> time consuming. I know. You kind of have to yeah. pamper yourself all the time. Yeah. And you have to eat so much. It's tiring to eat that much. <laughs> Who has time? And eating so healthy is expensive. Not Fabia. She just drinks Soylent. Have you talked to her about her eating? No. She solves this problem by drinking like three Soylents a day. You should talk to Fabia about this. Okay. It's fascinating. <laughs> we had a whole conversation about it. It blew my mind. Like I love eating, but when you have to eat that much, it's annoying. And I don't like feeling heavy when I climb. Yeah. How can you squeeze your core if your stomach is full? Great question. I know. <laughs> I feel like I, I feel like I could be totally wrong about this, but I feel like it is trainable. Mm. I don't know what this is, but I I have um, changed my diet a lot over the years, mm -hmm. and I feel like I have trained myself to be able to eat like a heavier meal and then be active like right out right away. Mm. Um, because I eat more just like whole foods these days. Mm -hmm. And usually it's like the, the quicker, more processed snacks that are like quicker to digest and things like that. Mm -hmm. But it like, I don't know, it works. Mm. Yeah. I can like eat meat and veggies and rice and fruit and immediately go train and feel That's good. That's incredible. I, 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 I used to not be able to do that. At least felt, 40 minutes of digesting. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know what that is. I don't, maybe it's like a stomach acid thing. Like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> But I got to learn adapts. that because like if I were to have a whole meal right now, car broke down and there were coyotes and we had to run like, <laughs> you'll make it without me, man. I'm the sacrifice. I can't, I can't run right now. <laughs> I could maybe jog half a mile. Why would we leave the van? If, it, if, the, if the van broke down and there were coyotes out there, why would we leave the van? We got to make it. <laughs> maybe the van caught fire. <laughs> I don't wish Reasonable. that Reasonable. Thank you. you know, Thank you for knocking. <laughs> I would be so sad if this man Just making up a scenario, another what if. Yeah. <laughs> I got you. Um, What have we not talked about that feels important to you? I have a couple more things on my list. We've been going for coming up on two hours. Okay. Um, I want to make sure that we cover everything that feels important to you to talk about. Um... I've already talked about the importance of community. That is a big part for me. Talked about how important family is. Um, I kind of want to talk about 
the viewpoint people have on sponsorship and what it takes to get one. Okay. And like uh, your obligations. Um, I think each brand is different. I think each person's relationship with the brand is different. And uh, L. L. Renee, whose Instagram name is Urban Climber, is a really huge resource for me in terms of sharing information. Um, and when I shared about, you know, tips to get sponsorship or ambassadorship, she said, you know, within a company, there's different tiers as well. Um, and everybody's contract may say a different thing and you have to read it uh, carefully. But mm. for the kinds of sponsorships that I aim to get, it's about more than climbing hard. Clearly, I'm not climbing V17. So that's not what I'm getting them for. I'm getting them for the community work that I want to do. I'm getting them for the resources that I need to have for my career, you know, because again, like time consumption, how expensive it is to have a trainer to do your self-care, recovery, for food, like um, giving access to someone like myself. Um, and then there's, of course, a diversity aspect, you know, getting someone out who looks like me out in these spaces because... I am still one of the few people who looks like me and it's always the same group of us getting opportunities. We all know each other because mm. the companies come to the same people and we go, wait, I have this person that I think should be doing it too. So you start to pass up opportunities to spread the wealth. Um, and I just want people to know that you don't have to climb hard to get the company's attention because what they really care about is storytelling and connecting with the consumer and being a real person that someone cares to listen to, you know, like who, if someone is like, you know, the strongest climber in the world and they advertise, you know, I really like this phone. You should use his phone because it has great games on it. Like, what does that have to do with their lifestyle? Like, what connection could you have with them? But if that same person is really connected with their audience and seems to be a very good person and cares about social justice and other issues that you may care about, and you advertise something that the company is doing in regards to that, everybody on their page will respond to it. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's important to not only leverage what you can get out of that business, because it is a business, it's not a person, take what you can from it. Um, mm. That's and, cool. But, right? They yeah, like certainly that. view you that way. Um, and then number two, seeing what it is that is marketable of you for them to decide to give you an opportunity because climbing hard now certainly isn't enough. They All the people who are going to get that sponsorship have it. Mm. So don't go for that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Unless you climb V17 and don't I have sponsors I mean, unless you do some and reason. somehow nobody knows you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah. Cool. I think that's a big one. Anything else? Um, Keep thinking. If anything <laughs> comes to mind, let me know. I have a couple. Uh, I have a couple more just interesting things. I don't know where they'll go. We'll see. This is from our first conversation. I really like to leave myself cryptic notes. And you and I talked back in like November or something, maybe. Yeah. So it's been months. We're recording this in April, so it's been like five months. Um, so I literally don't remember what this means, but I am intrigued by it. I have some notes here that say, uh, stories walking in New York city. And then the next line says, they always come back to mental health. And then I have a line that says mental breakdown and then becoming numb. 
Does that mean anything to you? Mm. Stories of walking in New York City. I might be talking about how us New Yorkers are so good at minding our business um, and how we see people struggling in the street. We see the homeless. We see people who are disabled. We see people who are mentally struggling. And because we don't have the resources to help them and because the city isn't set up to help those people, all you can do is really be numb to it. Otherwise, you'll just be having emotional fatigue for caring but not being able to help. Mm. Um, so, you know, just walking in the city, seeing people of, you know, whatever they're going through and wondering what their stories are, I would say. Um, and just how much that person would get from having someone come up and talk to them, but you won't know unless you do that. And mm. you just walk around numb because you don't have like the capacity to care for them when you're also struggling in a city that's bustling and running right. check to check. Right. Yeah. That's a big one. People always joke that New Yorkers, like, do the best at minding their business. But mm. you got to see the shit that we see on the train. Right. <laughs> I can't fix that. <clears throat> and I might be in danger if I try to. I'm just going <laughs> to pretend it's not happening. <laughs> totally. You know, and you're yeah. always like, please, next stop, get here. I'll just go to the next car. Mm-hmm. Or you hope they're getting off at the next stop because, <laughs> you know, the stop after that is express. So I'll be on this train with you for five minutes before you can get off the car. So, you know, that's what comes to mind. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's that. I think that is it. I think that is it. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. I think, I think most people, I've never, I've never been to New York. I've never spent time there. Yeah, I know. I mean, I know you don't like the city, so it's not the right place, but. Yeah. One time, just one time. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. No, I should, I need to experience it. You have to come get on my climbs. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. All right. I'll come. I'll come to New York for your climbs <laughs> and your gym. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> I do. I want to do like a whole East Coast tour at some point. I've never climbed over there. I've always wanted to go to Rumney. I would love to check out the Gunks. The Gunks I mean, is very pretty. There's so much around there that I'd love to check out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I've spent time in cities like, in, you know, Seattle or wherever and, um, it is a, it's a fascinating thing to see somebody who is right there, who needs help, and you're trying to go about your day, and it's not just the one person, it's people surrounding you all over the place, and like, what do you do? You can't, like, if you were to stop and be the Good Samaritan and put your, put your own needs to the side or your family's needs to the side to try to care for this person in that moment... Like, you're not going to make it through the whole day without just completely yes, exhausting yourself. there are so many people. Right. There are so many people you're going to pass by that need help. Right. And you won't have the resources, you know. Like, one thing I find important, and my mom said this to me, if I see someone who's, like, um, begging for money, I won't give money, but I'll give you food. I'll give you a drink. I'll give you a voucher. I'll give you a coupon or something. Just because you don't know what they're spending that money on, I don't want to help you with your habits. Right. Um, but if you lack food and things, I'll give you that. Um, for a time, I had kept uh, some business cards of an organization where people will come out to someone homeless, sit there, talk with you, get to know you as a person, offer you help, offer to give you food and shelter inside of somewhere that's not like the federal shelter. Um, our family was in the shelter system for a year mm. and it doesn't do the best job of getting people on their feet. Um, How old were you? 30. 
How old oh, were you? They said hour. How old am I? Um, this was fourth grade, so I think I was nine. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because seven, seventh grade is 12, so yeah, I was nine. Um, that was a tough time in life. Uh, but they, yeah, so Section 8, which you sign up for, it's on purpose, but it keeps people from getting out of um, the government needs. And a lot of people don't understand that. So they think that once you have government help, you want to stay there. What happens is they help you out. They make things very cheap. But once you make too much money, you lose those benefits immediately. However, the gap of making too much and having enough to survive on your own in the city is so huge that there's no way for you to make it. Mm. You would have to start having jobs that are off the books. And there's no like support in the middle. There's no like job that you get that helps you along the way. Yeah. So, you know, say you do go to the shelter system, they set you up with a place, you're now stuck in the system. Mm. And there, you know, there are judgy folks who are just uneducated. They don't realize that that stuff's on purpose. Right. Um, yeah. So I would hand out cards of people who would help them out separate of the government to get on their feet. And it's like community run. And then my mom said to me, like, I know you want to be, you know, doing the right thing, but lots of folks in the city who are homeless also are like, you know, mentally disabled. So it could be a dangerous situation for you to like walk up to that person. Mm. So even if I do want to help, like I got to weigh my safety, mm -hmm. you know, maybe they're having an episode or maybe me coming up triggers them in some way that I have no way of knowing because I don't know them and I, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. Might die because I tried to give you a, a business card. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, right. it's very possible in New York City. I wouldn't doubt that happening. So, mm -hmm. you know. Can I ask how your family got out of that situation? Yes. Um, we just ended up staying at my grandma's house. <laughs> mm. Yeah, we got our own apartment. Um, it was It was fine to be there. My mom was working. My dad was working part time, but also staying home to take care of us while we were in school. So he was essentially raising us to be like people. My mom worked. Um, and then when my mom started to have like too many surgeries um, and we started not being able to afford to rent at all, we just moved in with my grandma. She let us stay on her floor, which is like really wonderful of her. She's also another selfless person. This is my dad's side. Um, and then when we got our own apartment after that was when they had me take out a card in my line, use my credit as a student and then we got the apartment in New Jersey mm. without the government help because we just used my uh, credit and then on my mom's income and on my dad's income. And then with me helping to pay part of the rent, that's where we were. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm the only one to move back into the city. Okay. Yeah. I'm lucky enough working at my gym that I can do private lessons because whenever I needed more money, I would just pick up more clients. Yeah. One thing I've really gotten able to do because of like, our situation and like learning from my dad is be a business person and like really sell what I'm able to provide. Mm. So it would be really easy for me at the gym to pick up like five clients if I needed to like have enough money for whatever for the check two weeks from then. Mm. So I would just, you know, it's giving up all your time, you know, because right. you only have an hour and you can't like double them up and stuff. I started not to have enough hours in a day for all the clients I had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Man, do you want to stay in New York? 
the desert is very nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's so warm here and pretty. I don't know I why. Totally. No, it's amazing. We're in we're in Vegas. Um it's it's incredible. I I guess I just like asked that. I I think I always assume that people that live in New York m- like totally love it and that's why I love they're most there. Of it. You love most of it. I don't love the prices. Mm-hmm. Um I don't love how crowded it is. I like having people around, but it's just too much sometimes. Um Don't love the traffic cuz mm-hmm. again there's just too many humans in one place. Mm-hmm. Um and I don't love like just not having as much access to the outdoors as I would love. Um, but I love the diversity. I love all the things that are happening at all times. You know, if I decide I'm bored and I want to go do a thing that night, I can just look online and book a ticket to that thing and go do it. It's possible. <laughs> you know, like everything's in the city. Every culture is in the city. I can eat whatever I want. And it'll be legit from whatever culture it's from. I can find a good restaurant. Um can go to so many museums. There's like just so many activities. There's just so much in the city. And as much as I tend to be a homebody, I just like having the options. <laughs> I like yeah. to know that I can do all of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it'd probably be best for me to like live outside the city and then visit it. I think. Just financially? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so expensive. I want like the salary in the city, but live elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Like if I made what I made in the city and lived out here, I'd be comfortable. <laughs> like <laughs> freaking. So I went yeah. to the supermarket with my friend Hannah to get supplies, and golden Oreos out here are two dollars. In the city, it's six bucks. So I had no choice but to buy a box because it's only two dollars. <laughs> you had no <laughs> That's choice. Insane. That's insane. Yeah. <laughs> it's my favorite snack. <laughs> <laughs> You just stock up before you fly home. <laughs> yeah, I I like pass by it and I turned around and Throw I was away like, some excuse clothes, me. Fill your duffel, fill your duffel bag with golden Oreos. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. And it's it's crazy how much cheaper it is out here. The only thing that's the same is Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> Funny, it's, uh, it's huh. universal. Yeah, universally expensive. <laughs> right. Man, totally. that was. I was just like, you get this price all the time. <laughs> That's crazy. Let's wrap up. Should we wrap up? I have a few more questions for you. Okay. Closing questions. Um, again, I don't know why. I don't know. I just I just sat and, and wrote these down today. I don't know what made me choose these questions for you. Mm. Um, what frustrates you? Hmm. Slow progress on my end. I want to be better right now. (laughs) (laughs) Don't we all? don't have patience for me. It seems like you have that maybe more than most. I can see that. Yeah, I'm just so impatient. Like, I I like when I find something new, researching how to get better at it, like really picking it apart and analyzing and obsessing a little bit and then trying to become the best, like, right now. So that way I can get to, like, I don't know. The better you are at something, the more you're allowed to play at the lower levels. Like, I think it's mm. cool to project eights and nines because fives are easy. And I think five and six is where it gets real fun. That is the best thing about getting better at climbing. Yeah. Like, it opens up everything. You get access to more. You get access to more. And it's so much fun. It's so much fun. It I is. feel the exact same way. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the main reason, I mean, I want to climb harder things because it feels badass and it's goals and, and whatever. Um, but I think the main reason has always been 
that it opens up more of the cooler stuff. Because for some reason, I think harder climbs just are cooler. They, they, I think they're really cool. As a setter, um, I feel like I have a pretty diverse set of climbs that I enjoy. I'll always have a favorite B0. <laughs> There'll be a V0 I do every session. I'm like, this one just feels nice. Mm. You know, there'll be a V2 that I really like that just flows or has like a very easy dynamic piece to it. And I'll do it dynamic every time because it's so fun. And then my next favorite climb will be a V8. <laughs> you know, it just mm. like jumps around. Mm-hmm. You know, I think all of the grades are important. Um, but I, you know, I, I love that I climb so hard because I don't have to project that too. Like I get to play on it and I get to like... I'll be in my body while I'm doing it because I'm playing um, versus if I were like on a V4 and I'm doing like my warm up and now I'm serious, mm. you know, but I'm not sure if I get to V14 that where we'll feel like that too. Mm. And then I'll be playing on it again just as much. Like I, I think they're cool too. Yeah. I like when I don't have to try hard, but I also love when I try hard and I get something I didn't expect. Mm, totally. Yeah. They're both equal to me. Totally. Yeah, totally. That's such a fascinating thing about climbing. I've told this story before, but my still my two hardest uh, route red points, mm-hmm. they're both at Smith Rock. Um, I sent them maybe six months apart and had completely different experiences on them. Mm-hmm. Like the actual send, like one of them, the first one was just like a fight to the death, like barely making it to each rest. Each rest is like kind of shitty and just gets you enough back to get to the re- the next one, you know? Mm-hmm. And it was just like, just such a fight. I screamed the loudest I've ever screamed, probably in my life, definitely <laughs> rock climbing. I felt like I was like almost blacked out, you know, like felt the tunnel like closing. Forgetting almost, to breathe. <laughs> yeah, like felt like I was going to vomit when I clipped the chains. Like it was this whole thing. And then the other one was like, just an effortless dance Hmm. and I just floated and it's so crazy that you can have moments of performing at your best in this sport that are the yin and the yang like that like that is so cool you know I feel like they're important because training enough to be able to fight and do that gives you the ability to flow and do that like the fight gives you the flow and that's really cool. I think if I had to fight the whole time, I'd be too frustrated. Um, but I think if everything yeah. were easy, I would have already left the sport. Totally. Yeah. 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 Strife is good, you know? What is good? Strife. Mm. Yeah. He needs some. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I like that. When was the last time you felt really hopeful about something? About things in general, about your own climbing, your own life, your career, anything. I think when you said you were coming to town. Here? Yeah. I was cool. excited for that. Yeah. That's awesome. Because I, I just didn't know when our schedules would line up. Yeah. And I thought uh, coming out of the talk, I'd from talking out loud, I might have like new perspectives on myself and my career and I might like pivot in some some way I didn't think of because I didn't say it out loud or like maybe while you're here we might have just like such an awesome climbing session that I might like send something I didn't expect to send (laughs) (laughs) um maybe I'd see your van and be like I'm gonna get a van too (laughs) (laughs) I just thought it'd be like a, a great life experience um 
upon getting to have our talk and then not even just like talk like in person, which is like so much more awesome, so much more present. Yeah. I'm really glad this worked out this way. Me too. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Like something that I appreciate so much about doing this is that I, I, we talked about this earlier, the power of um, storytelling and sharing, Mm -hmm. like getting to know people, sharing people's stories, hearing people talk. Um, I've fallen in love with so many people on podcasts, Mm -hmm. not even my own, just in general, like listening to someone's story and you're like, it just cracks people open. You know, like you, you, we have these us and them and, and these camps that we put people in and these assumptions and these beliefs. And then you hear a human open up, uh, open up about who they are and all their complexity and you just fall in love with them. And I'm all nodding that so much. Yes. All that stuff melts away. It's the coolest thing. There's so much to a person. There's so much to a person. Yeah. Yeah. And then showing up and doing this and having the intention that you bring to a conversation with mics, with a recording, with a recorder, with the button pressed and all that. There's just all these moments where you like, where I find myself saying things or connecting things that weren't there before. Mm. I find that really mysterious and interesting. You know, I don't, I don't think it's the recording necessarily, but like, this is a really special space that we, that we're both here, that we, like in what other circumstances would we would we be here, you know? Yeah. And would I have like notes and <laughs> would, would we both have like thought about what we want to bring to this conversation? Yeah. And you just make connections when you're doing this. And it's, I think I've, I've learned so much from my guests, obviously, and it's such a gift. And I've also connected so many of my own thoughts through expressing something out loud in a conversation like this. Like you just, things click. Mm-hmm. And you're like, wow, you, you say something. And you're like, wow, I never understood that that way. And I just said <laughs> Like it. when you said a plant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, it is. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great example. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's cool to hear. Yeah. I'm really glad we made this happen. Um, what is something... You like to be good at things. What is? What are some of the things that you do that are just not complicated at all? They're just fun. What are some of the things that never fail to make you smile? Uh, skateboarding. Okay. Yeah. I don't need to be great at it. I just like to be able to balance. I have a longboard. Um, I like to cruise on a pretty flat surface. Maybe some like little swerves in there. Uh, I like to go at a comfortable pace with my headphones in. I have a playlist. Um, and the only trick I care about is walking forwards on it and backwards on it while going straight. It feels nice in the sun with some wind. Maybe wearing something flowy or athletic so I could feel the wind. Just like, mm. yeah, that always makes me smile. Because it feels like summertime and I always also do it when it's warm out. I also like when I do it that I decide when I'm done skateboarding for the day. Like Say it again? I like um, that when I do it, I decide when I'm done. Okay. There's not like a start oh, and I a see. finish point. It's yeah, just yeah. like, yeah. Ah, I decided I'm done today and I pick it up and I start walking. And stuff. Nice, nice. Like, yeah. It's just nice. It has no meaning. There's no goal. There's no anything. I'm just doing it because it feels good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I was listening to uh, to a book today. I'm re-listening to this book called 4,000 Weeks by Oliver Berkman. Mm-hmm. And um, 
I won't go into the whole thing about what it is. It's a great book. I highly recommend it for people listening, but I've talked, I've talked about it before. Um, but the part I was just listening to on my drive here actually was about, um, how few things we just do for their own sake anymore. Mm. Like everything's always with this agenda and like going on a walk was his example, you know, like you're, you're never done walking. Yeah. You never like reach a point where you're like, I've walked, I've done it. <laughs> I'm done walking. I reached my goal. That's, That's not the point of walking, right? Yeah. You're not, you're not walking to like accomplish something. You're not walking to like reach a certain amount of walking. You just walk because it's nice to go on walks. And yeah, um, yeah I, I really love things like that. Walking is the thing for me, actually. I, I don't skateboard. Um, I used to ski and, and bike and I like those things, but um, it's so uncomplicated just mm -hmm. to like go on a walk somewhere, enjoy the scenery. It's just, and, and it's, it's surprisingly rare how infrequently we do that, things like that, just like doing things for their own sake. Yeah. There's yeah. always got to be some goal at the end. Um, my mentor that I was paired up with in the North Face is Sam Elias. Very wise individual. How Has, does that work? The the mentor thing. Uh, so we're like supposed to talk every like two weeks or so, but you like decide your own amount of time to chat. Um, and they just talk to you about life. And because this is the first year that this ADP has existed, like we're kind of deciding like what we want and what we do with our mentors and like what we need and what North Face can provide, um, given how much they do or don't want to give us financially. Um, and we've just had like such good, wholesome conversations about life, about my climbing career, about my goals, about family, about intrinsic versus external joy, what I do just for the fun of it, um, what I do just as an obligation. Um, and what I can change to make climbing for fun for me again. So that way everything I do fills my cup. Um, and just talking about those things out loud, like you said, like once you say it, like you think about it differently, mm. you know, it's not the same as like talking to yourself out loud. Like someone might ask you a question you hadn't thought of, like they might just say why and you go, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> I mean, why? Yeah. I, I never thought of why I just do, Yeah, you know? So that's been pretty awesome. Um, I'm not even sure why I brought him up, but we would like, you know, just have really great conversations about things like that and doing something just to enjoy it. You know, he said, uh, I'm pretty sure the moment you started to have bad days in climbing is when you started to compare to other people. Mm. He's like, when you started, you did it because it was fun. You didn't know what the heck the grades are. You didn't know what you were doing. You just wanted to go up. Mm -hmm. sometimes just sideways and like every session was good because you got to climb and it only started to be a bad session when you felt like you had to aim for the same thing the person next to you had to aim for and when you compare your success to other people's definition of success instead of just enjoying the thing with your body mm. wisdom from right? sam good stuff and that's yeah. why now like to keep climbing fun, I'll project the crux. I'll get the climbing pieces. I'm happy. I walk away. And some folks, you know, I'm doing this more recently. And a lot of folks are like, you don't want to send it. And I'm like, I got all I needed to learn from it. I have the pieces. Mm. I know, trust me, I know what it's like to project something till you send it. I don't need that from this climb. I don't need to learn how to do that. I need to learn how to do this move. What I lack is technique. And I've gotten that from this climb. So now let me go learn on the next one. 
And that's more fun for you. That's more fun for me right yeah. now. Yeah. That's awesome. At least indoors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Outside, I want the sun because when will I have the opportunity to come back? I don't know. Yeah. So I want to feel what the start to the top is like and have a video of it for myself for later. Mm-hmm. But indoors, I'm just like, this is going to come down in five weeks. You know, but while it's up, I have the chance to learn a thing. And so I want to learn that thing while it's here. That's awesome. It's a cool mindset. Yeah. It feels so much healthier. It's better training too. Isn't it? (laughs) Gym climbs are like, they're just too long. (laughs) I'm like in a strength phase right now. And uh, I keep wanting to climb on the commercial boulders because they're really fun. Mm. But all the hard ones are so fucking long. We have a 60-degree wall, and all of our climbs are routes. It's like two or three boulders on top of each other. Yeah, at least. Yeah. It's so long. Right. And then you want to put a hard move at the top. Like, you want me to dynamically go for something? Yeah. No. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And it's, I mean, it's good training for something. It's good training for long boulders, but it's not, like, it's it's not strength training. It's not, like, working on the thing that I want to work on. But I, I don't know why I still um, tend to forget that it's that I can do what you're describing. Like it's yeah. okay to like pick a move or pick like a short section and like decide that's my project for the day. And like then climbing is your journey. You can decide totally. what to do. Yeah. Like whoever made the rules of you have to start to finish, that's good for you, sir. <laughs> do that. I don't want that right now. That's fine. I'll get to touch more climbs this way anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. That's Maybe awesome. on the day where I say, okay, now we want to complete climbs, then I'll come back and do it in all, all the parts. But right now, today's session is work this hard move you don't know how to do. Get smarter today. Mm-hmm. Nice. And then repeat the move. So now you can do it every time. Great. Next climb. What is a recent lesson that stands out to you? I would say um, practice makes better. Yeah. Uh, As I said, I'm terrified of falling from height. Um, So I'm picky about who I let bully me. Mm -hmm. Um, But that headspace, again, has also kept me from, like, wanting to lead at all. Uh, And in just two sessions, I went from... Getting on an easy climb and overgripping everything to deciding to get on a 10 plus that I knew nothing about and like lead it. And at the top, I was like, oh, actually, that wasn't so bad. Like in the times that I felt scared, I just did deep breathing. And then I got past the move because I know that this move on the ground, I would do easily without thinking. So why is it scary up here now? Mm -hmm. When I know that that particular person who's belaying me will catch me. And outside of that, why would I not be able to do this move? I just shook out. Mm. So getting practice in that situation will make me better at being in that situation. For sure. I forget that's it. Like it always feels like once you're scared, that's it. It's permanent. Mm. (laughs) It's never going to get better. But you got to expose yourself a little bit. And it it does get better. It's hard to see it in the moment when you're scared. Yeah. Yeah. I I really think... um, just about everything in life, maybe everything in life. I would need to stop and, and put more thought into this before I say <laughs> something that extreme. But um, I think everything is learnable. Mm. Like everything, 
things that don't seem like skills are skills. Yeah. And then your comfort zone expands to encompass so many things. Like, so, I'm just thinking about the podcast right now. Like, so many parts of the podcast, you wouldn't look at them from the outside and think that those are skills that you get better at over time. Mm. You kind of think, like, you are who you are. You know, you are, like, the, I don't know, the... Now it's hard for me to think of examples, but like it's you're the, you are the interviewer that you are, or yeah. you're you're either curious or you're not a curious person, or you either like to have conversations and listen, or you're not, or you're technically savvy, or you're not. All of those things are learned if you practice them. You know, I agree. Um, and I think I think especially in climbing, I think one place where a lot of people tend to have fixed mindset is around like thinking that they are a scared person, mm. thinking that that's just how they are. But it's just like, you know, you you ask them some questions and you learn about their background. And it's like, oh yeah, of, of course this is terrifying. Like, you know, for you, you grew up in the city and haven't done that much of this stuff. Like yeah. it's going to be scary still, you know? Yep. Um, it is such an experience for me. Sorry to cut you off. No, it's fine. It is so traumatic to me every time finding somewhere to pee out here. <laughs> <laughs> Today was the fourth time I've ever peed outside. <laughs> That's so cool. Every time. I was just like, I just met Laurent this trip, but he's a very good friend of my even closer friend, Goldie. And, you know, I was just like, Laurent, you're going to have to stand watch. <laughs> You're going to have to make sure that no one on the trail could see me. I need you to stand right there. Don't look at me face that way, but I need you to stand and watch. Mm -hmm. And if someone's coming, just yell, you know, like it was so stressful. <laughs> He's like, everybody pees. It's okay if they see it. I was like, no, it's not. <laughs> you don't understand. You don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone said would practice you'll get more comfortable and i was like all right we'll see everything in life is like that i think <laughs> i hope it is yeah i mean I, I i don't know like there's yeah yeah i think i think just about everything um that we attach our identities to are are changeable mm. we could like grow and evolve and that's a good thing because you always have the opportunity to, like, unlearn things that aren't beneficial as times change. Totally. And as your needs change and as the people around you, like, the roles that you play change. And, you know, the ability to become more intelligent and then act on that knowledge is so important. I don't think anything except... I don't even know what should be set in stone outside of, like, don't do, quote-unquote, bad stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. that's it. What do you wish people spent more time thinking about? I think this is my last question. It's a really good one. I would say experiences you haven't lived. I think that mm. would solve so many things in the world if you decided to try to be more empathetic. In whatever ways that is. Yeah. Um, starting with you don't have to understand, but you just have to believe and like validate. And then mm. over time, learn what that experience is and where it comes from and how it affects the person. But if I tell you this is stabbing me, you don't have to 
feel what it's like to be stabbed. You have to believe me when I'm saying I'm, mm. I'm stabbing and I'm bleeding. So you have to stop what you're doing. Yeah. Just, just start right there. That's it. And then the next steps will come with conversation. Believe and validate. Yeah. Yeah. It's so easy to do that. Yeah. Should be. <laughs> it's, it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be. I, I think it's hard to <clears throat> take away the aspect of needing to understand someone as logical people. Yeah. Um, it is. It's what, very simple. What you're saying is very, it's very simple. Yeah. I think yeah. like I, I said that because like obviously a lot of people struggle to do that. Yeah. But, right. um, but it is very simple. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's simple, simple for me to believe that the spirit, the experiencing you're having is real to you. Like what you're feeling is your truth. It's easy for me to, to say, yes, I believe you and that this is your experience. I might not understand why, but I can start there. And then maybe, you know, over time in conversation, I can learn what that's about. But mm. yeah, my a, a good example of that for me. Uh, my dad used to ask me all these weird different questions. He was like, um, if you have a heart attack, if you are afraid of something and then you have a dream of this thing happening or it's in your face and you have a heart attack and you die, he's like, did that thing you're afraid of kill you? And I'm like, well, no, the heart attack killed you. And he's like, but the experience you had was this. He's like, so the experience that you had is real, both inside and outside. So that's the experience you had. So, you know, say you didn't die, but you had a heart attack and we talk about it. Like, I only need to believe that this is the experience you had. And it was so severe that you had a heart attack and was put in the hospital. Wow. And then we can have a discussion to understand how you got there and, you know, why this whatever led to it is. But I just have to believe that what happened to you is truly your experience. Good stuff. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. Good stuff, Addie, right? <laughs> <laughs> Do you go by Addie, Adeline? Uh, well, no, I'm thinking about it. I go by Addie because it's easy for everyone to say. And like now it's kind of like my brand, I guess. Um, but Adeline is my late Nana's first name. Mm. So maybe I want to say Adeline. I don't know anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I want to like keep telling people that that's who I was named after. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, that was her first name. Okay. Well, you let me know. I'll put whichever <laughs> you prefer on the title of this podcast. <laughs> You're a badass. This has been so fun. I've Thank really you. enjoyed talking to you. Um, I'm noticing something fun right now, which is I do more and more of my interviews in the morning mm -hmm. these days because um, I do more of them remotely. And it's just kind of like it's nice to like get it done and, and then like set it aside and go about my day I, f I feel like if I or I find that if I have it later in the day I'm just kind of like it's hanging over me all day and I'm yeah. kind of like thinking about it and it's hard to get other stuff done mm. so I usually interview people at like 10 in the morning and it works great if they're overseas because it's evening for them and mm. um but this there's like a softer there's like an interesting thing that happens when you talk late at night with someone yeah you know I don't know I feel like you start to get bolder <laughs> start to get bolder you start to get bolder. yeah it's yeah yeah. yeah, it's it's different. It's like a softer, like warmer, yeah, more like open space, and it's it's really cool. So I've I've like I've really noticed it. Like time of day, like really changes the interview experience with people, and like different mm -hmm. things tend to come out at different times of day. But um, yeah, this felt perfect. Felt, Thank you. Felt just really fun and very interesting, and 
Yeah. Again, I said this already, but I really appreciate you showing up so fully and, and being so open and just keep keep going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're on a cool path. I'm excited to see what you do, where you go, and um, wish you all the best. Thank you. I hope you stick around and climb with me to see it in person. Okay. Because now we have plans for New York City. Yes, we, we do. Have, we have plans for Squamish now. We have, <laughs> we have a lot of plans. <laughs> <laughs> we do. Yeah. Well, well uh, I'm psyched. Things to look forward to. Yeah, this is good. Also, like being inside the van is really sick in this environment. This is really cool. Is it making you want a van? A little bit. <laughs> it does that. It's a little bit. Sweet. This is really cool. Like, uh, Teresa, a lady that we met yesterday to go climb with, um, she and her friend were climbing under monkey bars and she told us she has a van. We were like, oh, can we see the inside? And she, you know, expressed that it's so weird if people want to see the inside. And I'm like, but it's like, you have a clubhouse. <laughs> <laughs> a mobile clubhouse. Who doesn't want to see the inside? <laughs> like, what, what do you have in here? <laughs> totally. No, What's I totally your stove get it. look like? I totally you know, get like, it. yeah. It's really cool. This it's is really, so sick. It's we're really in our cool. own little ecosystem. Yeah. It's cold outside, but not in here. Yeah. It's cozy. You know, we're like out in the wilderness, but like, yeah, plumbing. You know, like it's <laughs> yeah. it's really cool to be outside and inside, like at the same time. Yeah, it is. Out on an it, adventure, that, but you're safe. That's what it is. It's, it's like really cool. This is my home. It's like it's like having a home and being out camping at the same time. That's so good. Every night, all the time. And sometimes you're sleeping in parking lots and it, it's not that cool. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like last night I slept there's like a construction zone right next to where I to where I fell asleep and I didn't realize it until like six o'clock in the morning. Oh, no. Like oh, no. Fired everything up. And I was like, this is a bad place to camp. But um Did you finish sleep? Like did you go elsewhere and No, it just was what it was. But oh. most nights, yeah, it's like you're out in a beautiful spot and this is very cool. Um yeah, this there is, is so like cool. a co there's a coziness to it that's really special. Yeah. I I love like visiting friends' vans. <laughs> More so than being over at a friend's like <laughs> static house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is cool. This was the right move for this conversation. Yeah. Like if we if we wanted ice cream, we can take your house to get ice cream. <laughs> you know? We don't have to leave the house, get in the car, <laughs> drive to the ice cream spot. <laughs> it's cool. It's cool. It's really sick. You want to take the house and go get some ice cream? Let's do that. <laughs> We can. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thanks for having me. This has been my pleasure. Super loved cool. loved loved every moment of it and you're welcome back anytime. Yeah. I hope you made it. I'll be back. All right, let's do it. <laughs> you got it. Thanks to everybody for listening. I'll put all things Addy Wright, Adeline Wright in the show notes at the nuggetclimbing.com. And uh Look out for clips on YouTube. Hopefully we got some video that we can actually use <laughs> that we can share. So uh, we'll see what happens with that. But um, yeah, I've got some learning to do with, with these cameras. But yeah, thank you again. Thank you. Thanks everyone for listening.
Hey friends, before you go, quick shout out to all of our sponsors for this episode. As always, you can find links to all of our sponsors and you can see the coupon codes for their products in the show notes at thenuggetclimbing.com or just by scrolling down right there in your podcast app. I make it really easy for you guys to get great deals on some of my favorite products. So check them out. Scroll down right there in your podcast app or check out the show notes at thenuggetclimbing.com. And as always, I put tons of goodies in the show notes. So for this episode, you can find links to all the things, videos and books we talked about, related podcast episodes, my guests' links, etc. You can find all of that stuff conveniently linked for you at thenuggetclimbing.com. Just find this episode and all of the show notes will be there, including timestamps so you can scroll around and find some of the best nuggets from this interview if you want to listen to those sections again. And as always, thank you guys so much for listening. If you want even more great content, if you've been loving the show, I do have a Patreon. I have tons of bonus episodes over there, almost 50 bonus episodes. They're called follow-ups that I've published so far with past guests from the show. Those bonus episodes are some of my favorite interviews that I've done on the podcast. You can get access to all of those and ad-free episodes and more for $5 per month. Go to patreon.com slash thenuggetclimbing to learn more. There's a link for Patreon right there in your podcast app as well. Thank you guys for listening. I appreciate all of the support. Happy climbing. I hope you have an amazing week and we will see you next time. 